This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 191 for Thursday, July 11th, 2013. I'm your host, Rich, and our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, our caller number 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line. That's 347-815-0687. Sorry about that. 347-815-0MTR. If you don't want your feedback played on air, please make sure to specify that. All right, so we're back on our regular Thursday time slot. Everything is back to normal. We are done with Consumer Electronics Week, 4th of July. Everything is back to normal. And with that, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, behind the scenes at MTR. Figured I'd let you guys know. Uh, First off, um, we made some enhancements behind the scenes on the site, primarily because our host, which is HostGator, was changing servers, which caused considerable slowdown a lot of guys are telling me that you know they experienced a lot of delays on the site, a lot of errors and stuff. So now we are um, supposedly up and running on brand new equipment on HostGator, and we also started using a CDN on the site. So now that we're running a CDN, uh, things should load a lot quicker. Photos, all that stuff should load very quick. Also, got to let you guys know, we actually instituted something brand new instead of just going to mytakeradio.com and clicking the listen tab to listen to the show you can actually just go to mtrlive.com to listen to the show that way it's easier i know a lot of people were having issues with keeping um you know the listen tab up and running and memorizing the listen tab so we made it nice and easy by saying you can just listen to the live shows by heading over to mtrlive.com Dot com. That way, like I said, it's just it's just a lot easier. One thing, though, with it, I, and, you know, if anybody is having any issues, please let me know. It seems that with the domain forwarding, um, it, it's running a little slow. I don't know. I don't know how slow it is, but some people are telling me that it's still a little bit slow. So with that in mind, by all means, keep me up to date, guys, just so I can get with our hosting companies and get all that shit taken care of. All right, um, Slick is actually working on the review for Pacific Rim, so I'm sure by the time the show is over this evening, you'll be able to check that out. If you are looking forward to seeing the movie, I'm sure you will definitely want to check out what Slick has to say. Also, um, Mortis posted his first post on the site, so um, congratulations, Mortis. Your post cherry has officially been broken. Ben will be joining us this evening. We will be talking about, of course, the historic... UFC 
162, which, of course, is is going to be an MMA segment for the ages. Of course, we're going to talk about Raw. We are also going to talk about what's going on in the gaming industry. Things are a little quiet. Obviously, the summer, the summer kind of you know, makes things a little dead in the gaming industry, but not too much, especially with San Diego Comic-Con coming up. I know there's going to be lots of gaming and movie news for the foreseeable future. Last but not least, of course, we got entertainment news, including some what-the-fuck movie news that we're going to discuss. And as always, we will be taking your calls. Quick reminder, 347-324-3541. As for those of you that are listening via Blog Talk Radio, you can also listen to the show via Mixler, mixler.com forward slash mytakeradio, or just go to mtrlive.com and listen there. Quick reminder, if you did just come into that page, make sure to mute either the Mixler player or the GFQ player so you do not experience any echoes. All right, so before we get into this week's show, I did want to, I actually have a little bit of a monologue for this week, and it's funny because... This particular um, bit of a monologue came from some things that have been going on in the news lately. Of course, we've been dealing with um, the Paula Dean uh, fiasco, but we've also been dealing with the Trayvon Martin trial. Now, the funny thing is that both of them are centered around race. Obviously, in the Paula Dean situation, it was the fact that she, you know, she dropped the N bomb the twenty something years ago, and then she didn't own up to it. Now. I actually wanted to share my thoughts about that because this is this is something that really amuses me for a few reasons and especially not so not the Trayvon Martin thing but more so the Paula Dean thing and the reasoning is uh years ago you guys some of you if you're a little younger or are are younger listeners you may not know about All in the Family or the Jeffersons if you were um you know 30 years old or a little bit in your mid-late 20s, you might know about All in the Family, you might know about the Jeffersons. There was tons of racial humor, There's a, there was tons of really, really strong content. Um, same thing goes with a lot of the programming that we watched um, back then. And the, and the thing is that race has become something that has been extremely, extremely controversial. And I say this because... From a comedy standpoint, there's comedy. From a real-world standpoint, there's always, you know, it's, um, you know, it's it's weird because when you look at, like, the Paula Dean thing and you look at some of the stuff that we grew up watching, it's not to say that it's similar, but it's definitely bordering on the same thing. Um, it's funny because... Ben says in the chat, I'm from part of, I'm from the part of the country that Paula Dean type of people are from. And I don't think she's racist, just an ignorant redneck. This is from, from Ben. Now, for those of you that don't know, Ben is African American. Now, here's the funny thing with that, and, and this is what I want to get into. Paula Dean isn't guilty of racism. She is guilty of dumbism. And I and the reason I say she's guilty of dumbism is because of the following. When she was asked, Do you use the N-word? Do you say it? Her response should have said, yeah, I've used it. I don't condone the use of it now. You know, it's not a word that that I say every day, but it is a word that I have used. You see what I'm saying? It just sounds different versus, yeah, I say it, but I'm from the South. It happens. It's like that. You're guilty of being a fucking dummy. Maybe, maybe I'm sure she's racist, but let's think about this. And this was a conversation 
I had with, with John Blade and Quark. And we were talking about how some people were saying that she made uh, some of the African-American employees dress up like slaves, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or, or you know, wear the, the really uh, proper uh, waiter and maitre d' outfits that they wore in, say, Boardwalk Empire. Now, the funny thing is, we're talking about this, and there's only one person that's suing that restaurant. One. One person. Not these other people that were made to to dress and, and wear these outfits. And the reasoning is because they were cool with it because they were fucking getting paid. That's the that's the that's the craziness of it. It's and this is what I was saying to, to Quark and Blade about selective racism. It's like you gladly dressed up and, and Uncle Tommed your way around the restaurant that night, and you probably made a lot of money, and you were like, Wow, I made a lot of money. And then you decided a year later, wow, that may have been kind of racist. You're a fucking dummy. That's like that's like me walking into work and my manager telling me that he wants me to put on war paint and carry a tomahawk like a Taino Indian and stand outside my office door. If I want to get paid and he tells me I'm getting $200 a day, I will gladly get paid. Sure, it's going to be stereotypical as fuck, but I'm going to get paid. Now, if I were offended, I'd say, hey, I'm not digging that dude. I think that's a little racist. I, I, I can't condone this. And I'd either quit or go about my business or I'd get fired or whatever the case is. That That's it. There's no room for selective racism. There's no room for, you know, just, just using race as a crutch every time you want to get a payday that's what i'm saying do you know and, and it's it's funny ben says boss wants us to wear these little black outfits guess we got to do what massa says exactly now think about this you know you look at it from the standpoint of hey you're gonna dress up like like, like you know like like a slave waiter and we're gonna pay you 250 dollars a night you're going to say, yo, I'm good. I'll pass. But otherwise, you're going to take that money and you're going to do what you got to do. But you can't after take that after you take that money and go home, ba- say to yourself, oh, that was kind of racist. It's stupid. It's completely stupid. And and the lady who's suing Paula Dean, she was saying she's like, oh, it's not so much about the race. It's about the treatment. That's what I'm saying. You can't wake up a year later and say, wow, that was kind of racist. It's stupid. Paula Dean is guilty of being a fucking dummy and not knowing how to defend herself correctly. May, is she a little racist? Possibly. But you know what? Everybody ate 19 sticks of butter at her restaurant and it didn't matter what race they were because they showed her restaurant. There were, there were white people there. There were African-Americans there. And everybody's just like, you know, Paula Dean's being unfairly treated. For something that she said 20 years ago. And these were African Americans saying that. They don't give a shit. They go in there and they're like. Hey this racist ass old lady. Makes some good greens. Seriously it's it's stupid. And then you know. We sw- we switch gears. And we were talking about the, the Trayvon Martin thing. And I just want to. I just want to cite this particular instance. And I'm not going to beat it up. Because that's not, that's not what MTR is about. We don't do that. But it's just an observation I had. And that was that. You guys know that they have a police uh, a tape recording of somebody yelling help. Somebody's yelling help. 
and they had all these experts come in and they were like, oh, it might be Trayvon Martin. Oh, it might be George Zimmerman. So then they decided we're going to call their parents in. So George Zimmerman's mother comes up to the stand and they're like, hey, is that your son yelling help on the tape? She's like, yes. They call Trayvon Martin's mother up to the stand. Hey, is that your son yelling on the tape? The answer is yes. What kind of fucking dummy is going to come up there and say that's not their kid? Do you think George Zimmerman's mother is going to say that's not my son yelling help? And condemn him to jail possibly for life? Seriously? Listen to the logic in that. Do you think Trayvon Martin's mother is going to come up and say that's not my son yelling help? Which would implicate that her son was whooping George Zimmerman's ass. Seriously, get the fuck out of here. That's the, that's the thing that kills me with that. Just the logistics. Like, you mean to tell me that they don't have, you know, criminal investigators that can differentiate the octave of voices from George Zimmerman and say Trayvon Martin? You mean to tell me that maybe the kid didn't record his own voicemail me- message on his cell phone and you can't compare the voice? To say George, uh, a recording of George Zimmerman's voice. Are you fucking kidding me? It's the dumbest shit ever. And then here's the here's the good one. George Zimmerman was like, "Oh, he went for my gun, and I shot him." Okay, he went for your for your gun and you shot him. But here's the thing. How about the fact that the police dispatcher told you to keep your stupid ass home? I bet you he wakes up every day in that 4x4x4 cell that he's in and says, fuck, I should not have gone out that day. That's that's the beauty of it. Like, it's not nobody's looking at it like, oh, it was a race thing. It's like, no, it was George Zimmerman saying, hey, there's this random black guy in my neighborhood. Because it's like, they don't they don't always acknowledge it, but he's he's Hispanic looking as hell. George Zimmerman isn't white. Where's he gonna hide that big ass Hispanic head of his? I'm Hispanic. That dude is Hispanic. He got a big ass head. The only thing that makes him not Hispanic in the eyes of CNN and everybody else is his wonderful last name that isn't Hispanic. Do you think that if his name was George Cruz that they'd let him run the neighborhood watch? Are you fucking serious? What Hispanic do I do you know is running a neighborhood watch? Nine times out of ten, we'll fucking tell the criminals where all the good shit is. Because a lot of us are fucking pieces of shit. I I say that with with zero regret. You know. It it's it's crazy. It's it's craziness. And you know Val Val is saying in the chat. You know I thought the argument was did he or did he not commit murder? Yeah that that's the that's the argument in the most basis of terms. But like Ben says, it's about whether he killed him in self-defense or not. And here's the thing. And this is just, again, the views I'm about to share do not reflect those views of my take radio staff or any of our advertisers and affiliates, but I'm going to give you guys some real crazy logic and you may agree with it. You may not standing, standing your ground is the, the, you know, you defending yourself in the event that you're, possibly going to get killed let's think about this rationally you're 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 standing your ground because somebody's trying to kill you 
Not somebody's trying to whoop my ass. Someone is trying to kill me. That's the logic. Someone is trying to kill you, not whoop your ass. And that's where the stand your ground law really is getting tested because it's like George Zimmerman shot a guy because he was getting his ass whooped, not because he wasn't getting killed. He exactly dark helmet said he wasn't in imminent danger. And even still, are you in imminent danger? Nobody ever died from having their nose broken or, 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 or maybe having a black eye. Nobody died from that shit. Let's be real. The dispatcher said it best. Stay your stupid ass home. Stay home. Nah, I'm going to go and investigate. What the fuck do you think was going to happen, stupid? Again, not a race thing, but a stupid thing. I got I got a crazy guy that wanders around my neighborhood. He's a fucking nut job. He goes occasionally, he'll grab somebody's trash can, he'll throw it into the middle of the street. Or, or he'll, he'll, he'll scream at the dog that my neighbor has three houses over. He'll legitimately stand there, put his face against the, the fence of a giant pit bull and scream in its face for 15 minutes. He'll, he'll, he'll scream in his face and people call the cops and that's it. I, I have a, a firm rule of thumb with that guy. He is a psycho. He is a little weird and he's a little crazy. But, he, he's not he's not endangering my family. If he wanders onto my property, I got to tell him to get the fuck off. And if he's on my property and he tries to do something crazy, he is getting a full-fledged ass whooping. He's getting a receipt immediately. But I'm not going to go out there. If I call the cops and I go, listen, this crazy guy standing outside in the middle of the street, screaming like a whack job and flinging trash cans in the street, I'm going to go outside and tell him to stop. The operator's going to tell me, stay your stupid ass inside, we'll send somebody there. At which point I will go, you right, and I will stay the fuck inside. And the cops will come, probably tase him, and throw him in there. You know? That's it. When that guy called, when George Zimmerman called the police and they said, he's like, hey, there's this kid, this guy, he's wandering around, he looks a little shady, blah, 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 I'm gonna check it out. And they said... Hey, stay home. Then he should have stayed home. It's, you know, and and again, my neighborhood isn't bad, but every neighborhood has a crazy. Every neighborhood has a, a, a certifiable whack job, whether it's a lady with too many cats or the random guy that wears a coat in the summer or, or that one guy that stands in the middle of the street and talks to a tree there's a few of them. My neighborhood has, like I said, the one crazy guy that likes to yell in the middle of the street. And occasionally, you know, the cops will grab him. He'll get committed for like six months and he'll disappear. Then I have another guy who's Asian. Sweetest guy ever. Always says hello and good morning. And he stands on the corner and he just stares at the sky for an hour. I kid you not. I will get up in the morning, throw my gym bag in the car. He will be on the corner. Staring up at the sky. And and he seems to be high functioning. Cool cool guy, nice, nice person. But but he's he's a little nuts. It's just how it is. A lady in New York City got stabbed on the train by a homeless lady because the lady was just looking at her. This is the kind of shit I'm talking about. You pull a knife on me in a train, I'm 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 either getting stabbed, but I'm fucking you up. I'm kicking you in your chest. Just how it is. 
It's just that watching that trial, you know, watching the highlights of that trial, it just it just got me thinking like about some of the stupidness. Like, oh look, is that your son's voice? What do you think if if, if I'm Trayvon Martin's mother and I'm listening to the tape? I don't give a shit if it's a cat meowing in the background. It could be meow. That's my son, ma'am. That's a cat meowing. Yup, he meows when he's scared. Seriously, like that. Like I, I'm not gonna condemn my kid. That's that's how it goes. You walk into a store. Your 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 significant other wanders away from you, or you have a kid with you, and the kid wanders away, and you yell, "Hey." If you have a child with you or you're any parent with a child, you're all going to turn around at once. It's just natural. Trayvon, Trayvon Martin's mother's not going to roll over on her son. You know, it's how it goes. She ain't going to roll over on her son. And George Zimmerman's mother's not going to condemn her son to life in jail. So even if it's not him, even if it's clearly Trayvon Martin yelling, she's going to be like, nope, that's my son. But she's not going to condemn her son to jail. Tit, George Zimmerman, not a racist because he's, he's half brown. Guilty of being stupid, 100%. And as much as it pains me, he'll probably, he'll probably get off. Or he'll probably get like commute, he'll get like probation and like two years in the hole. And then time served. Because the trial is way too fucking gray. Way too gray. I mean, don't get me wrong. The kid was unarmed. He had a juice and some Skittles. He may or may not have punched George Zimmerman in the face. But you also got to ask yourself, if I run up on you in the dead of night and I say, hey, what are you doing in my neighborhood? And I try to act tough. I'm going to be defensive, too. It, it's, 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 a, it's a shitty situation being sensationalized by the media because you watch Fox News and Fox News is like, oh, you know, if Fox News could could say, you know, fuck that black kid, they would. they really would and if cnn could just analyze the shit out of it to the point where you get drowsy and just say just just give the acquit the guy so he can move on they do it too media takes advantage of keeping people stupid that's how it goes (laughs) all right so that's my that's my insane monologue of 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 the day Uh, see Ben, Ben, Ben kept it super real. Ben kept it the realest it can be. Ben said Fox News would say fuck that nigga. That's what he deserves. <laughs> you know, it's it's terrible to say, but that's what the media is. The media is completely agenda driven. If I believed everything I saw on the news, I wouldn't eat red meat, or I wouldn't I wouldn't drink coffee, or I wouldn't have scrambled eggs in the in, in the morning or whatever, I wouldn't do any of it. It's 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 ridiculous. Everything is is propagating fear. A great example and before I move on is they were doing a test for um here in New York City in the subways for a chemical attack. So they released a harmless gas in the subway system to test, you know, our capabilities in the event of a chemical weapons attack. So of course, you know, are I, my usual group of friends. I got a couple of my friends break down into into four categories: sane people, nut jobs, murica, and conspiracy theorists. That's how it goes: regular people, crazy people that are still cool, murica, and conspiracy theorists. 
Those those that are on my t- that are on my timeline that I'm friends with that are conspiracy theorists were like, you see this shit? They're probably releasing some sort of weird gas that's gonna let them track us wherever we are. Blah blah blah. Then you got my my America people, which are like, you see this shit? It's all Barack Obama's fault that they're testing for chemical weapons. They wouldn't even be worrying about chemical weapons if Obama wasn't president. And I got a couple of those, like hardcore dudes that, you know, they put up pictures of Ronald Reagan riding on a velociraptor carrying an AK-47 with a bandana on. Like, these are these are the people I know. Like, sometimes I just got to be like, look, I can't even fuck with you guys. You know? Then, then of course, you know, you got I got my normal crazy people who are just regular cool people that just don't give a shit, carefree. And then I got, you know, my close family and close, super close friends. That's how it goes. But legit. America, any uh, and and you and you all have that one guy that one America guy you know all of you have that one hardcore super american guy he's the guy that will share pictures of an ak-47 every day he's the guy that will talk about he's pretty much zeb coulter on your friends list He's that guy. He is we the people. He is the guy that has a don't tread on me banner as his Facebook photo. You know, that that's how crazy it is. And the reason I'm even talking about conspiracy theorists is because we're going to get into that when, when Ben comes on for the MMA segment, because of course there's, there's conspiracies there too, according to everybody else. So we're going to get into that. So, that's going to wrap up this monologue because I can crack on Murica and crazy people forever. So let's get the ball rolling. Let's talk some MMA. All right. So let me bring Ben on because I know Ben is there and uh, we can get right into it. Ah, I think I think uh, Slick is uh, screening. Let me bring Ben in. Ben, what's up, dude? What's up? I don't know, man. Murica, racism, butter, Paula Dean, conspiracy theorists, Tommy Toehold, Punch Out, Chris Weidman. Oh my God, all kinds of shit is going on. So let's talk about UFC 162, which was without a doubt the the nuclear death of the internet. Because as soon as that card ended. I think Twitter pretty much swallowed itself. It just became a black hole of exactly that. Conspiracy theorists and America. <laughs> yeah. So I want to, of uh, course, I, well, oh, well, go ahead. well, before we get into the main event, I'll pluck out the, um, the usual, you know, we'll go through the usual, um, pluck in certain fights that I wanted to go through. I wanted to talk about, um, Gabriel Gonzaga murder, death, killing Dave Herman. Yeah, that was, that was really <laughs> fast. Because uh, I was at a bar, I turned away, and the fight was over. <laughs> I had no idea what happened, but yeah, he, he looked good. Dude, 17 seconds in the first round. Yeah, I mean, you can't look much better than that. Had no time to do anything else. <laughs> dude, Gabriel, Gabriel Gonzaga is a creepy-looking dude. Like, he's the kind of guy that if you had to share a cell with him and, and you know given your current job, if you had to see this dude in a cell, you'd be like, yo, I'm not putting anyone in there with that dude because they're not coming out alive. Yeah, he's he's strange <laughs> looking. Um, 
and he's always wearing that mouthpiece even when he's weighing in, which yep. is weird. Uh, but you know, he's a decent uh, heavyweight MMA fighter, so does you know he does his job, and he knocked out Dave Herman in like seventeen seconds. <laughs> Well, you know, um, Kazuki Tokudome had a lot of fanfare coming in. People were gonna really watching this fight very closely. But I think I think Octagon Jitters definitely were part of it. But Norman Park took that fight away from him as, in those first two rounds. Tokudome didn't hit his stride until the third round. Yeah, by that time the fight was basically over. Yep. Uh, Tokudome really didn't do anything the first two rounds at all. So. Uh, he deserved to lose the fight. Um, maybe he'll get over these UFC jitters his next fight, but this fight he looked really bad for most of it. Well, let's talk about Chris Lieben. Thoughts? <laughs> he should not be fighting professionally anymore. Damn, dude. <laughs> uh, I think his time has passed, which, I mean, it's not a bad thing. I mean, he's been fighting for a long time. I just think he's done a lot of damage to his body with drugs and painkillers and steroids and at this point it's he's he's incredibly shop worn it's it for his own safety the ufc should cut him <laughs> oh shit damn dude well here's here, here's a here's a funny here's a here's a funny here's a funny thing about that think about everybody from that first season of the ultimate fighter almost all of those guys are either retired or you know, doing analysts, or I think wh- who's left? Koscheck is left. Sanchez. And oh yeah, and Sanchez, Koscheck. but he, but you know, um, was no Rashad was the second season. Yeah, Rashad um, was second season. But I'm talking about like the first season, dude. Old timers. Swick. Swick. Swick, but he almost died from like that parasite that's that Khan used in Star Trek too. Yeah, I, I guess he's still fighting. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think anybody else. That's what I'm saying. Forrest just retired. So did uh, other dude. I, I guess that's it. Swick and Koshet. That's it. Roy McDonald absorbed Kenny Florian. Um, <laughs> Lieben is, Lieben is the, the last dude left. You know, Griffin and Bonner retired. It's it's insane. I'm like I'm like holy cow. There's re- like looking at that second season and and of course looking at that at looking at that first season. Sorry, looking at that first season. I look at it and I'm like fuck. I'm old because these motherfuckers are retiring. <laughs> and I saw that first season. I was 15 years old and had no idea what MMA was. There you go. It's crazy that like all of these people are like just basically gone. Yep. But Lieben, it's funny because Dana White has a soft spot for him. So you know Lieben, they'll do something with him. Give him Chuck Dale's job, which is nothing. Like, give him a job, <laughs> give him a paycheck for doing nothing. Like, just don't let this man fight no more. It's he not should good do. For his he should just do MMA scared straight promos with Junie Browning. Ah, <laughs> uh, Junie Browning. Ah, uh, Junie Browning. So <laughs> much what potential. He's doing with his life now, probably in jail somewhere. <laughs> Dude, he almost got killed in Thailand. Remember that? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. For I don't. Junie Browning's in. But being That's a psychopath. Insane. Not a great fighter, but uh interesting person. Well, let's let's talk about a, a guy who I know you you enjoy watching work, and that's Cub Swanson putting a work on, on, on Dennis Seaver. Yes, sir. He 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 
Cub Swanson has improved drastically since getting to the UFC. I mean, this is a dude at one time that was getting tapped out by Jens Pulver, who I believe that's Jens Pulver's last win. Like, I think so. Seven or eight years ago. Like, Cub Swanson has improved drastically. Um, I don't think he beats Jose Aldo if they fight again. I don't think it ends the same way, but I don't think he beats him. But, excuse me, he is fun to watch. I mean, that 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 wide-open style he has, he has really good boxing. I mean, he did a he did a number on the receiver, who I'm not impressed with at 145, like other people seem to be. But um, he did a number on the receiver. Yeah, I was like, I was like, holy shit, you know, because it was like Dennis Seaver's not a can, you know. So I'm like, I'm like, he he dismantled him in that second round. I was like, oh my god, you know, it was just it was just just putting him on him when when he when he um when Seaver when Seaver swept to to get on top position as the round ended. I said it's gonna be lights out as soon as that third bell ring. Yeah, he he looked really good. I mean, Cub Swanson has improved drastically. And in all honesty, if Anthony Pettis doesn't um, fight for the 145 title after the zombie uh, Jose Aldo fight, I think the shot should be given to Cub Swanson or put him in there with Ricardo Lamas. I think he deserves a shot more than anyone. I mean, this is, I think, his fifth win in a row. Yeah, his fifth win in a row. And just, you know, fourth knockout in five wins. I mean, this dude is, is out here just doing work. I was impressed with Mark Munoz, you know, considering that that Chris Weidman knocked him into Jenny Craig. <laughs> you know, I was I was you know he he came back, looked super impressive, put the put the work on on, on Tim Bocek. I mean, I, I was shocked he didn't finish him, but he looked he looked really good. Munoz definitely making a statement at one eighty five. Yeah, Munoz looked good. I would be interested to see Chris Weidman fight this Munoz. Yep, compared to the other one he fought with like a fucked up knee. And- I think it was going through depression, but um, yeah, he looked really, really, really good. He was in excellent shape, and Tim Boach had nothing for him. And I nope. think Tim Boach has kind of been <clears throat> exposed a bit uh, with the Casa Filippo in this fight, the Casa Filippo fight, this fight, and and to a, uh, an extent the uh, Yushino Kami fight. He's a strong guy, but te- technique wise, he's not great. There's dudes that can out wrestle him, and there's a lot of dudes that can out strike him. Well, speaking of lack of wrestling and lack of striking, let's talk about Hodger Gracie and Tim Kennedy. What the fuck was that? Like, I said to myself, yo, that shit should have been on the prelims. No disrespect to Tim Kennedy, but it's like, yo, Hodger Gracie, I always get that nagging feeling that he just phones it in. He's just like, yeah, I'll take him to the ground and tap him. I'll just take him to the ground and tap him. I won't stand. It's fine. Hodge Gracie, first of all, doesn't actually need to fight MMA. Hodge Gracie is like a millionaire who doesn't actually need MMA. It shows because it te- he tends to, it tends to seem if he's not going to get you down with his piss poor attempt at wrestling, um, nothing's going to happen. To be six four in middleweight, or I think he's like six four in middleweight, and have Tim Kennedy, who I believe is only like five eleven, constantly hit you in the face, get tired after less than five minutes, like. This is why the Gracies, as a group, haven't won a fight in the UFC since 1994. The Gracies <laughs> have not evolved. They don't care to evolve. This is what they do as jiu-jitsu. That's great. It's not going to win you fights in the UFC anymore. 
Not in the UFC, dude. In the UFC, it's it's like if you're not completely well rounded. A good a good example of this is um, what the hell's his name? The guy that fought Phil Davis. Ah. Oh. oh, Vinny Magalhaes. Yeah, you know Vinny Magalhaes. Vin- on the ground is 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 amazing. He's fucking Gandalf the Grey on the on the ground. Stand him up, and it's just like ass whooping central is coming his way. Yeah, I mean, Vinny Magalhaes is a far more complete mixed martial artist than Hata Gracie. Is, right, right, right. But these, know, Vinny Magalhaes, yeah. No, what I'm saying is that these dudes that that whose bread and butter is Brazilian jiu jitsu, like a lot of times, and 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 again, it's a handful of guys. They really just feel, yeah, my BJJ will get me through it, and it's like no. No, it won't, because as soon as somebody crack you in the dome, like, nobody's going to actively go to the ground with you. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to go to the ground yeah. with the dude because I can't. No, not doing it. No, you just stand him up and beat him up or just stand him up and walk away from him for a while. He'll get tired and then beat him up. Yep. That's what that's what, that's what what Tim Kennedy was using. Dude, Hodger Gracie had no urgency in that third round. I'm like, dude, you looked okay in the first. But there was no urgency. He was just like, yeah, I'm just here. I'm good. He was absolutely exhausted by that time. Yep. Just, and from really doing nothing. <laughs> Dude, better start wearing that training mask to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Frankie Edgar, who gets a uh, nice victory over Charles Oliveira. Hard fought. You know, I- I'm sure Frankie Edgar will wake up and want a rematch, even though he won. <laughs> because you know that's what Frankie Edgar does. Just out of habit. Just out of habit. You know, I, I had to borrow that from 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 Tommy Tollhold because it's true. It's like every dude he fights, he wants to. He's like, yeah, I'll fight him again. Yeah, just cause. It's like, dude, chill. You just won. You all right? I mean, hey, he's, he's lost fights that he probably should have won, but you know, there's that. But uh, yeah, Frankie looked good in that fight. Um, so did Du Bronx. Um, I was kind of surprised at Du Bronx. The only problem I have with DuBronx, though, and I said it in my article, is somebody needs to get this man a boxing coach. Yep. Because he doesn't move his head at all. He was getting cracked with the same punch over and over and over again, and his head was sticking straight up in the air, and Frankie Edgar was just walking in. Like, I think there was a sequence in the third round where Frankie Edgar just threw the right hand over and over and over and over again. He didn't set it up or anything. Nope. Um, DuBronx is a talented fighter, but... He has some defensive defensive deficiencies that hurt him. And against the elite um, featherweights, he's going to probably lose. Hence how he lost to Cub Swanson and Frankie Edgar. Well, you know what's funny? With, with, with Fran- in Frankie Edgar's case, it's like, it's like Frankie Edgar is probably one of the most complete fighters. Like, like the, guy, the guy comes out of a solid jiu-jitsu camp. Solid wrestling camp. Doesn't even need it, dude. His his stand-up is, is crispy. Yeah, he, he, rarely, he rarely actually uses his wrestling. Doesn't even um, need he it. Probably could tap people. Um, I think I've seen him tap like one dude in the UFC. He probably could tap a lot of people. He just doesn't. Nope. I mean, he's, he's an excellent boxer, and he uses it really, really well in MMA. Well, now looking looking at this victory with his, with, with, you know, against Oliveira, where do you see him going? Because it's th- th- this particular division is is so weird. The the featherweight, the featherweights, and, and the and the lightweights. Because there's so many dudes. Oh yeah, I'm just gonna drop the ten pounds and I'll challenge down here. No, I'm just gonna jump up and challenge this guy. 
Where does Edgar fall in at this point? It kind of depends on what Jose Otto decides to do after the Korean Zombie fight. Um, barring he wins, I have a feeling that Jose Otto has no intention of staying at 145 much longer. Nope. Um, so if he goes up, I think you do like a like a uh, a vacant title fight for uh, with maybe Cub Swanson and and Ricardo Lamas, and then do a number one contenders fight with uh, Chad. Uh, Chad, uh, Chad Mendes. Chad Mendes, if he beats uh, Clay Guida, which I'm pretty sure he will, um, if he beats Clay Guida and um, Frank Edgar. And and I think that's what you do. Give him Chad Mendes versus Frank Edgar as a number one contenders fight and then put, you know, Cub Swanson and Ricardo Lamas in a title fight. Cub Swanson and Ricardo Lamas would be a problem. I mean, it would be a rematch because that first fight he was actually doing really well. Yep. I mean, he got tapped, but he was doing really, really well up until he got tapped. This is true. I mean, Edgar's always Edgar's always a fun guy to watch because he doesn't go out there and, and, and not to say that he doesn't play it safe, but if you go out there and you give him good opponents that will make him look good, you get some amazing fights. Like, don't get me wrong. The Gray Maynard fights were good, but let's let's not kid ourselves. I You know, there were instances where I'd rather watch fucking paint dry. I'm. <laughs> I'm not a. I mean, I don't hate Gray Manor. Um, I mean, he got last knocked out last time he fought. I don't hate Gray Manor, but you know, his Frankie Edgar fights were great. Gray Manor fights normally aren't that great, right? But, That's what I mean. But it was, but it was only because Edgar was bringing something else out of him. You know what I mean? Like there was more on the line. Yeah. So it, it it's like you, you're going to get a, a different caliber of fighter when there's more on the line. Like like Dana White should just lie to everybody and be like, yo, if you win this next match, you're going to be a contender for the title. Because dudes go out there and legit kill each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not entirely sure what exactly they do for Frankie, but I'll, I'll be really interested to see because he, at 145, hell, Frankie, he'd actually dropped a 135 to 1-2. He's still a small 145er. Well, he said um, he said he wouldn't do it. He was like, "Yo, fuck that! I'm not gonna do it." I mean, I think there was a uh, concerted uh, effort to mention it a lot when he fought Jose Aldo, because I think if he had beat Jose Aldo, he would have tried to do it. Like if he had beat Jose Aldo, he would have tried to be in the first three division champion. Probably, but, you know. But since he didn't, he probably has absolutely zero intention of trying to do that. Oh, here so. Of course, here we go. The big one, Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman. Anderson Silva comes out, you know, being doing Anderson Silva stuff. You know, he he he. Come on, Chris Weidman, come on. Just fucking with him, fucking with him in the in the, in the first round, fucking him a little bit more in the second, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh my god, he's dead. And that was it. Like like when he hit the ground, the entire arena was just like. <gasps> <laughs> that was yeah, it. basically. I mean, that's how the well, that's not how the bar I was at was was. But this is a bar, and the, if if anyone has seen my Twitter feed that night, oh um, yeah, dude, <laughs> right after he lost, like it wasn't just my tweet. The tweet I retweeted from and Ghostface Killer on MMA. By the way, if anyone enjoys MMA and likes Ghostface Killer, just imagine Ghostface Killer talking about MMA. It's hilarious. But uh, him saying that conservative white friends 
fans around the around the world are celebrating right now. Like <laughs> there, there you was, go. There's this dislike for Anderson Silver that I don't understand from and I don't want to offend anybody, but from a lot of white people. And it's really weird to me. Well, no. like as soon as he lost, they were like rejoicing. Like they were legit happy. And I was like, Well, you know what the, you know what the problem is with, 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 with Anderson Silva? And here's, there's a couple things. And, and before we get like into the fight, Anderson Silva wakes up every morning and pisses excellence. He is the Ricky Bobby of this shit. He doesn't give a shit. I go out there, I fight, I fight for the fans, I don't care. Like, he said it at the weigh-ins. He's like, yo, I fight, I don't give a shit. I fight for the fans. Fuck it. You know, I wake up every day, I punch a dude in the face. I don't, I don't have a problem. But not only that, but he's so mainstream. Burger King, Nike deal, um, ballroom dancing, whatever other crazy shit he does. He's good, man. He is, he is super good. Now, the problem that people get mad at with Anderson Silva is the fact that, you know, Anderson Silva is so good that he clowns everybody he fights. So people get, they're like, yo, man, fuck that guy. He doesn't, he doesn't take this shit seriously. It's like, no, when I'm that good, when I, when I can beat up half the fucking planet, I don't need to take it seriously at this point. The only problem is that, that when you live that life, you know, I'm gonna take a page out of out of John Blade's book. When you when you're when you're YOLO living, you know you're gonna get caught. It's gonna catch up with you, <laughs> and that's what happened. He, he was living he was living that life. He was like he's like, oh come on man, come on. Oh you hit me, okay, it don't hurt too much. Okay. Oh that one kind of did. <laughs> to, I mean, I guess to go into the technical parts of the fight. To be honest, he could have continued to do that. Uh, what happened wasn't necessarily, and I'm not taking away from anything from Chris Wyman because he landed the punch, but what ended up happening wasn't necessarily a Chris Wyman, um, success is more of a failure and footwork by Anderson Silva. Uh, what Anderson, the reason Anderson Silva gets away with doing things like that the majority of the time, because his footwork is so good. Yep. He went completely flat footed and like didn't cross his feet, but like, his feet were in a position where he couldn't go back any farther. Yep. And so when he did that, he was just caught out there like that. That's his fault. And, and good for, for Chris Wyman. But if Anderson Silva took that fight seriously, uh, it wouldn't have been much of a fight. But that's and, like, I saw that really quickly. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, what was funny when he went, when, when Wyman went for the knee bar, he was like, Oh, I got him. And Silva's like, hey, 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 knee bar, ha, ha, and just gets up and just clowns him. Like, they, like it's like yeah. when Anderson Silva legit got nose-to-nose with him at the weigh-ins and, and Weidman gave him the kiss of death, pretty much, you know, I, I said to myself, there's a different Anderson Silva. He's kind of he's kind of playing the hype game. Because Anderson Silva doesn't really play the hype game. He usually lets the dudes sell the fights for him. He actually went out of his way to sell this shit, which was a rarity. And because everybody expecting Anderson Silva to go out there and be Anderson Silva, you know, he, he got he got caught for it. Now, here's here's the thing. Of course, as soon as that fight went down and he lost, like I said, my conspiracy theorists on, on Twitter and Facebook were like, you see that shit, man? Yo, that shit is rigged. Anderson Silva took a fucking dive. He took a dive. No, he didn't. 
The first rule of fighting, yeah. even when you're even when your parents teach you, is to keep your hands up at all times and protect yourself at all times. When I was a kid and I was going to school and my mother said, listen, if somebody hits you, you hit them back. The, 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 the second thing after that was make sure you keep them hands up. That was it. Yeah. These, these are facts. There's no conspiracy. It's called I'm so good that I'm going to try and get over on just being an asshole. And because you are an asshole, you got a receipt. That's it. No conspiracy. Basically, I mean, this is. Yeah, I don't think Anderson Silva had no intention of going out there and losing. Dude, Anderson. There's far easier ways to lose than getting knocked out. I'm going to be. let him get that knee bar and just tap. There you go. But if I'm going to really be. He wanted to lose. He could have let him catch that knee bar and tap. Yep. And he could have. been done with it. But he didn't want to lose, clearly, <laughs> and it's it, it's just it's it's it, it wasn't just the conspiracy theories that got me. It was the revisionist history, like oh he was never that good. Talk I saw. Oh yeah, which, well well we're gonna we're gonna go into that too. Here here's the here's the thing that gets me. Anderson Silva went out there and he had to sell that fight. He had to sell it. So. It, look at the way he handled Weidman versus the way he handled Chael versus the way he handled Maya. He tried to he tried to Damian Maya Chris Weidman. He tried to go out there and straight clown the dude. He's like, yo, I shouldn't even be fighting you. You're a you're a zero. Let's be honest. Anderson Silva woke up and said, yo, I'm fighting a dude who nobody knows who the fuck he is. He is a he is a he is a blip on the fucking radar. I don't even know what part of Long Island he's from because I can't even see that shit on a map. You know that 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 let, let's keep it let's keep it real. Like same shit with Damian Maya when he fought Damian Maya, he's like, "Yo, who the fuck are you? Why am I fighting you? You are nothing. You are a blip." And you know the game changed when he fought Chael because Chael was pretty much just Chael made it about Anderson Silva will want to whoop my ass. Like, that's what it was. You like, you have to, you have to get under a guy's skin to the point where you want to beat the fuck out of him. As soon as you get to the scale, Weidman wasn't doing it. Weidman was just like, yo, I respect Anderson Silva, but I know I'm gonna beat this dude. That was it. It wasn't disrespectful. He didn't say, yo, I'm gonna beat after Anderson Silva. Then it's going to be after party at your mom's house. You know, like that, like that. It wasn't like that. So Anderson Silva was like, "All right, fuck it. I got, I got to come out of my comfort zone a little bit." And he thought he was gonna walk through the dude, and he got, he got bagged. But I will say this: as soon as Anderson Silva lost that belt, and if I'm wrong, fuck it. I guarantee you, he had the biggest weight lifted off his shoulders, the biggest amount of relief lifted off his shoulders. And the reason I say that is because Anderson Silva was, without a shadow of a doubt, the tent pole for super fights. It's like if you build a teepee and you have that one supporting pole in the middle, that supporting pole was Anderson Silva. Why? Because if he went down in weight, he'd get the GSP fight. If he went up in weight, he'd get the John Jones fight. You know what I mean? There was a probability of yeah. swimming in money like Scrooge McDuck. So that's what that 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 pressure fucked him up. I'm sure it drove him crazy. Like, damn, I, you know, I gotta fight these fucking dudes. I just wanna, I just wanna fight and get paid. But I gotta fight dudes like like Chris Weiner. You know? 
Yeah. Um. To, to me, I, I feel like he probably did feel a sense of relief. Yep. But I don't think. Um, oh, he didn't go out there to lose, but I'm I, I'm saying afterwards he was probably like that's why he was probably like yo I don't really you know I don't really need the rematch because he's just like ah oh, I got yeah. this shit again you know yeah um he to to me first of all I think there's gonna be a rematch like I I um absolutely dude too I much think, money um too much money on yeah, the table yeah there's gonna be a rematch. And if I was if I was Chris Lyman, I would not want to do the rematch. But <laughs> um, there's going to be a rematch. I think that fight will go differently, and then there's going to be a trilogy. Um, money for everybody. My only thing is, I, I don't think that Anderson has the same drive he had before, which is um, possible, seeing as he has been champion for like seven years. I think at this point, he needed something, not to say that he went out there trying to make it like a motivational thing for himself, but I think at this point, he needs things to get him up for fights. Chris Wyman didn't get him up for this fight, so he did the asshole thing. Yep. And still was winning. Yep. So, if he took this fight seriously, and he takes the next one seriously, I think he can win the belt back. Now, as far as super fights go, I don't know how interested Anderson Silver is in a John Jones super fight, but I know at a GSP super fight, they can still do that one right now and they still make money. Yeah, they but don't need the belts. Here's here's the here's the thing with the with the super fights, and and this is the shit that kills me with 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 pundits, you know, with 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 fight pundits. That's why I'm just an opinionated fucking observer. I'm not a reporter. I'm not a journalist. I'm just a regular Joe. That that talk shit for three hours to a, a a live audience. This is this how this is how I see it. Anderson Silva is, will always be, and has been one of the greatest fighters in mixed martial arts of the modern era. Period. Period. And the fact is that even if he lost this fight with Weidman, he's still considered one of the greatest fighters. In the in the sport, period, doesn't matter, doesn't. And to for for nope. GSP to fucking sit there and say oh, I don't want to do the the super fight. Uh, what the fuck? Are you afraid of money? Are you afraid of money? No, he's afraid of brain damage. He, yeah, but even 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 still, dude, this is the this is a business. You got to look at it like if GSP fought Anderson Silva for the strap at 170 and won, he could just go like this, eh, fuck you guys, I retire, I'm going home. You know what I mean? Because it's like, yo, you beat the greatest fighter of all time. That That's what I'm saying. Like, like regardless of, of what Anderson Silva steps up to the cage, even without the belt, he is a guy that held a belt for years you know, years. He had one of the best records in MMA for years. You know, yeah. 14 pounds of gold or whatever it is isn't going to make a fucking difference. Just to test yeah, yourself. You want to test yourself. I Yo, if I were GSP, I'd be like, fuck it, I still want to fight that dude because I want to see if he is a better man than me. These are the facts. <laughs> 
I don't think it's about that to GSP at this point. No, it's not. Like I don't think I don't think GSP. First of all, I don't think GSP is going to be fighting for much longer. Nope. Um, he might have three years, maybe three fights left. Maybe three fights left. I'd give Hell, him maybe two fights left. I'd give him three years, and I'll tell you why. Three years, just because he may get the allure to try it to try his hand at eighty five, and but if he's if he gets the acting bug, if he starts getting noticed. You know, and and being looked at better, and he loses a little bit of the fucking accent, he'd be all right. He'll leave, dude. He will leave. Like if he goes into Hollywood, and they're like, oh, you know, leading man, good looks. He's pretty. You know, Van Damme's getting a little old. Maybe a couple made for cable flicks. You know, he'll be out. I don't even think it's just that. Like I think he. I don't. I don't think. I don't think when GSP retires, we will see him very often. Like he might be on somebody's corner. But I don't think GSP is going to retire and go into acting. Like I think he's going to go retire and go into nothing, like training people and just being rich. Like it, it just it, from interviews I've seen, GSP doesn't seem like. I mean, yeah, he did this movie role, but it doesn't seem like that's really what he wants to do. He just wants to take his money and go home without the physical damage that's going to happen if he continues to fight for years and years and years. Well, he's Which also I commend because a lot of fighters don't know when to stop. Well, he also has a lot of spe- you know, he's always wanted to do like the Olympics. Like GSP's going to be the dude that's going to he's going to want to do some Jack LaLanne shit. He's always going to want to try and test himself, you know? Yeah. You never know. He might just go and be like I'm going to do wrestling and and okay. do the Olympics, you know? <laughs> like that's the kind of shit he would do. Yeah, like something to do with martial arts, like but I don't I don't think it would be necessarily acting. But I don't know. But as far as the, the Anderson Silver thing goes, like, I just, I think people's reaction to it was asinine. Yep. I, well, hit us, hit us I, with I, it. It felt the same way after Fedor lost. Like, this, this, oh, he was never that good in just anyway attitude is ridiculous to me. <laughs> well, here's the, here's the thing with that. People, and this to take a page out of, out of Bloodstained Lane's book. It, it, people assume that MMA is only the UFC. It is not. MMA is the UFC, Bellator, Invicta, World Series of Fighting, um, 1FC, Pride if you want to go way back, UFC during the SEG era, um, Strike Force, Valetudo. Valetudo. The list goes on. We Not even that, but if you want to even go beyond that, Glory. Um, regular kickboxing, K1. Come on, man. Like, like people are so closed because, and again, this is partially because they, 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 they swallow the proverbial load from Dana White. That's what they do. Dana White, if Dana White goes up there and he goes, you know what? I think Fedor was a fucking piece of shit. You'll be like, yo, man, he, you know, Dana's right. Who the fuck did Fedor beat? Who did Fedor beat? Half of the motherfuckers you probably root for, he beat out of here same thing with anderson silva it's like yo you're gonna sit there and really say that anderson silva fought cans or fought bums are you crazy chael sonnet chael sonnet whooped his ass for four and a half rounds four and a half and he beat him people don't realize this but anderson silva beat the number one fighter in three different well the former number one top 10 fighter in three different weight classes he beat Hanato Mark Sakurai at 170 when Hanato Mark Sakurai was considered to be the best 170 pounder in the world. 
he beat Rich Franklin when he was considered to be the best <laughs> 70 pounder or 185er yep. in the world. And he beat Forrest Griffin at the time that Forrest Griffin was still considered to be a top five light heavyweight. There you go. Anson Silva is, to me, the greatest fighter of all time. But, but, in MMA and from MMA wise. Anyway. Right. But, but that's what I'm saying. But people who sit there and they'll just be like, yo, man, Anderson Silva, you know, he fought Damian Maya. He fought Rich Franklin. He, you know, he fought, he fought bums. And it's like, no. You know? He didn't. He, he, he fought, he fought dudes that were legitimately, these were guys who Dana White thought were the future of this sport. And he whooped their ass. Because Rich Frank, he he he, he, re- he rearranged Rich Franklin's face twice. <laughs> like get out of yeah. here with that he shit. Was supposed with that. to lose um, to Chris Levin when he first got in. The UFC did yep. not think he was going to beat Chris Levin. Yep, and he he, he didn't he land every him. single punch and kick he threw in that fight. That fight. Yep, I think that's one of the fights that made Chris that messed up Chris Levin mentally. It probably did. You know, it's, I think, and, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm not joking. I, I really think Anderson Silva was like 100 percent accuracy in that fight. Yep. <laughs> but here's here's the here's the kicker, and this is the the next thing. If Anderson Silva turned around and said, "You know what? I don't want the rematch. I'm gonna go up to 205 and start fighting at 205." What are you gonna say then? That Anderson Silva doesn't deserve opportunities at 205, considering that he 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 decimated Forrest Griffin at 205. Come on. Yeah, he. That would be interesting if he did it. Um, I don't think he would. At least not full time. But I, I would be interested to see him try it. Because um, I think he could beat a lot of 205ers. Most 205ers, except maybe the top two or three. And even them, those guys, he would have a chance again. And against, it's a- maybe not. And maybe not John Jones, but like the other guy. Like I'm trying to think. Like he would be, he'd beat the hell out of Gustafson. Like, yep. There's a bunch of them he could beat. So, but th- but here's here's the here's the kicker. If he if he fights Weidman at the end of the year, beats Weidman, gets the belt back, then Weidman has to take another fight to get contention. Maybe fight Vitor, you know, because Vitor's all fucking. I want to fight. I want to fight. It's like, and then. Yeah. And then Weidman or Vitor fight Anderson, and Anderson beats them. It's like it's like who? What's he gonna do? Keep fighting the same five guys? Like that's what kills me with dudes that are saying that Anderson Silva's a bum. It's like yo, he practically has the entire division on lock right now. Basically, I don't. Easy. I don't think this ten fight deal he has. He's not fighting all ten fights. Um, he'll probably fight maybe four of them and then retire. But you know, thirty eight years old. He's not going to continue fighting much longer. Dude, even if he does the 10 fights and takes, like, fun fights, you know what I mean? Like, like he goes up to 205 and says, yo, I want to fight Vanderlei at 205, you know, just for shits. You know what I mean? Or, or you know what, I'll do another chill fight at 205, fuck it, you know, let it be what it be. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, he, he's a guy who's who's established himself in this sport that he could do whatever the hell he wants. Like, if he called up Dana White and said, yo, I want to do the Weidman fight, and after I do the Weidman fight, I want to do two fights at 205, and if I win them, I want to fight for the belt. Dana White would be like, you got it. You know that, because Dana White's going to be like this. Just He's going to be like, 100 for you, 1, 2, 3 for me. <laughs> 200 for you, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 for me. You know, that's how it is. 
Yeah, basically. I don't like. I don't. I, I'm interested to see what happens with this, and and I and also I feel sorry for Chris Wyman because he he possibly just pulled out the greatest episode in MMA history, and nobody cares to talk about him in that light. But which is stupid. Um, Chris Wyman's yeah, a local I mean, Chris local Wyman's, guy. Huh? I'm saying Chris Wyman's a local guy. You know, I was I was pulling for the dude just from being a local guy. Like the I I like GSP, but I, I rooted for Matt Sarah. You know, because it's like, yo, it's local guys. It's a great story, and you know what? It changes. It changes the makeup a little bit. Like you don't always want to see the same dude in title fights. Like Weidman, he'll go up in there. Maybe he'll retain. Maybe he won't. What if he goes in there, fights Silva again, and this time maybe he taps him out? What if he knocks him out again? What are you gonna say? Yes, I mean, if that happens again, then you know he he's beaten the greatest fighter in my opinion, ever, twice. Yeah. And then you have a whole new spin on the division. Yep. I mean, I'd be interested to see that. There's a lot of different fights. I mean, I don't want to see Vitor fight for a title ever again. But <laughs> I want to fight. Voided up ass. <laughs> Vitor is. <sighs> I, I can't take much of what Vitor does or says seriously because the whole TRT thing hey. and his, re- his, oh, if you're going to use TRT or an excuse, don't fight me. But then I'm not going to fight anywhere in America because I can't get an exemption because I've been popped for steroids twice. So I'm just going to keep fighting in Brazil because they'll give anyone an exemption. That's but, it. Power yeah. of Jesus, kid. Power of Jesus. Yeah. So yeah, And steroids. And steroids. <laughs> and TRT. And God knows what else. Fucking horse, horse tranquilizers and shit. But um, let's get into the money a little bit. Chris Weidman took himself the uh, knockout of the, nice bon- knockout of the night bonus. Uh, Swanson and Seaver took fight of the night. Edgar and Oliveira took fight of the night as well. All of them got $50,000 bonuses. Now let's talk about salaries for a minute. Anderson Silva on the losing end made $600,000. Let that sink in, guys. $600,000. And Weidman made forty-eight. dollars Yep. He lost and made 600000 And Chris Weidman made $48,000. And that included a $24,000 win bonus. Uh, well, <laughs> that's how it goes when I think Wyman's had four fights in the UFC. Four there you go. Fights. I mean, <laughs> he'll get a new contract now that he's champion. He's not going to be making that from now on. Of course not. I mean, I don't, like, yeah, I think there's a reason for that. And he probably didn't make that that night. That's nope. what they reported. Right. He probably made far more than that. Well, you know what the thing is, too? You know, you got to include sponsorships and all that stuff. And then Frankie Edgar's another dude. Yo, 240000 He got a $120,000 win bonus to Charles Oliveira's $21,000. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, got to work your way up to that. Well, before, before we move on to the other MMA news, where do you stand with fighter pay? Because this was what I had um, wanted to ask you last week, but, we, you know, we didn't get to connect. Where do you stand with it? Do you think that these guys could stand to make more money? And do you agree with Dana White saying, yo, you guys want these lower-rung guys to get more dough than no more win bonuses? It's like this. Um, a lot of people I feel that are complaining about fighter pay don't know the dynamics of fighter pay and fight the fight industry. Um, UFC fighters that are on the undercard, the like untelevised undercard, get paid a whole lot more than boxers on untelevised undercards. Like, I'm talking, like, they'll be on a Mayweather 
for instance, the the Mayweather Mayweather Alvarez, um, Canelo Sal Alvarez fight that's going to be in September. I guarantee you, Mayweather and Canelo Sal Alvarez are both going to be making a couple million. Well, Mayweather I think make he's going to make fifty million for this fight or some ridiculous number like that. Canelo Alvarez is going to make a couple million, and then there's going to be a, a huge drop off. And I'm talking like the dudes at the bottom are going to be making five and five, not five and five thousand, like five thousand for winning and showing up. Five hundred for winning and showing up. How it goes? The UFC does, yeah. Like the UFC is actually doing these guys a favor. Um, the dudes at the very top deserve to get paid more. The John Jones, the GSPs, the Anderson Silvers, those guys, the ones that bring them money, deserve to get paid more. You're not bringing the money if you're on a Facebook card. No but, one's coming to see you. Well, that was the whole Tim Kennedy thing, and you know he was very apologetic. But Tim Kennedy and you know Dana White. You know, he's like, yo, I'd rather be a garbage man than get paid in the UFC. And I was like, but dude, like right now, you just made 90 grand. 90. Yeah. 90 grand for for 15 minutes of work. I mean, don't get me wrong. You got to pay your trainers. You got to pay everybody. But Hodger Gracie to show up and, and, and gas out in 15 minutes made 50 grand. 50. Come on, man. It's like it's like I understand you want these dudes to get paid more bread, but you also got to look at it like what you said. If I don't give a shit about watching you fight on television, you have to make me want to give a shit. Like yeah, Tim Kennedy, he 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 he's a member of the armed forces. He you know, he defended our country. He's a pretty funny dude. He's pretty cool, but the dudes they pair him up against with, you you know, they pair him against, you don't want to you don't give a shit. Like, don't get me wrong. If fighting Hodger Gracie, it's an okay fight. Do I give a shit about it? No. And that's just being <laughs> honest. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, if you said, yeah, yo, I mean, t- Tim Kennedy's going to fight. $90,000. Thank you. He made ninety grand. Ninety. It's like you take three fights a year and you make between fifty and ninety grand in three fights in a year. And you're complaining? I'm just using that as a as a... You know, no, I I completely agree with you, but these these UFC fighters or the people that make this argument, yep, the strict the the closest comparison would be boxing, and the UFC does far better by their undercard fighters than boxing does, and and that and you, you know can't have it all. Mortis said a a, a, a a very good thing in the chat. He said, and that doesn't even include undisclosed bonuses. That they don't get told about, which is true. No, it, it doesn't. It, it's like it's like it yo, and and we're not even counting sponsor money. Now, I mean, Tim Kennedy rarely goes out with sponsors and shit on, so he's an exception because it's true. Like if you go out there, and you don't got no sponsors, and then you got to pay like what Mortis said, you got to pay Greg Jackson a hundred grand a year to come up with a game plan for you. Then yeah, I mean, it's frustrating, but. It, it, this is part of the business. You you want to go and be good. You're not gonna train. You're not gonna train at you know Bob's Karate Hut. You're gonna go and train with Greg Jackson. You're gonna go train with you know Mike Winklejohn. You're gonna go train at the pit because that's where that's where champions are made. You want to train at Joe's Karate Hut. You better go out there and fuck people up and put that gym on the map. Uh, yeah, I mean. <sighs> Best example is TriStar. Look at TriStar. Who the fuck knew about TriStar before GSP started fucking people up on the regular? Yeah. 
I mean, a lot of people still think it's Greg Jackson doing the training when actually it's for us a hobby. Yep. But you know, it it is what it is with fighter pay. Like it's a subject. I believe that the people at the very top should make more money, but I I I don't have a problem with what the UFC pays the lower end fighters because they're still making around what I make in a year for 15 minutes of work. There you go. Dude, I'm not going to lie. I make I make a little a little above 40 but a lot below 50. Let's just leave it like that. And I got to put in 40 hours of work. Out of that money I make, I got to deduct uh Car insurance, gas, lunch, etc. Now, sure, I could go in there and tell my boss, you know what, I need more money because I got to pay for this and I got to pay for this and I got to pay for this. But you know what? I'm not poor either. Like, I'm okay. You want more money? You got to give people it. You got to give them incentive to give you more money. These are, these are the facts. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, you have to be bringing the money in order for them to give you money. Yep. And that's why I'm saying the dudes at the very top should be paid more. Yep. The people at the bottom, I mean, you're very, you should feel fortunate for what they give you. Not, I'm not saying, like, you know, worship the UFC, but you have to understand that you're not bringing anyone in. So that's why you're not making the kind of money that you more or less believe you should be making. Well, a good example is Eddie Alvarez. Look at Eddie Alvarez. Dude was going to get serious dough, but Eddie Alvarez would make people tune in. Yeah, he was about to get what was it, like a hundred seventy thousand a fight. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like he, like he would have made. Still going to get that regardless. Yep. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like people are going to be like, "Yo, I want to see Eddie Alvarez fight." Like, do you think if they would have signed Bibiano Fernandez? That Dana White wouldn't break him off with some good money because he has an established fan base that's going to come in and buy pay-per-views and and spend money to watch that dude fight. Yeah, the I mean, only, that's, that's how it goes. The only dude that 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 who, whose whose money was always questionable was Fedor, and that's just because of all the extra shit he had going on. But you know, Dana White would have busted him down. Yeah, but Dana White would have busted him down with some serious bread, dude. Oh, he would—he would got paid. I mean, they—he would have paid. He just had to get rid of him one being around, but he would got paid. Yep. So, going through um the rest of the MMA news, uh, Lyman Good is officially a free agent. He'll probably end up in the UFC. Yeah, he left. Uh, leaves Bellator with an eight and three record. Uh, he won the initial welterweight tournament in 2009. He lost the belt, of course, to uh, good old Ben Askren. And um, I- I'm sure Dana White will scoop him up, throw- toss him some decent bread. Yeah. Unless Bellator pulls the old, you know, we're going to match. <laughs> uh, yeah, I-, <laughs> I hope not. Exactly. Bellator, just putting people in purgatory. Well... Well, last week I was talking about the Ultimate Fighter making its expansion into China, and and as it should come as no surprise to you, um, they're talking about Kung Lee being one of the coaches for the Chinese edition of the Ultimate Fighter. Who's going to be the fighters on the Chinese version of the Ultimate Fighter? Well, supposedly they're doing auditions for featherweight. They're doing auditions for featherweight and lightweight to be held in Beijing, Singapore, and Macau. 
they had wanted to do this before, and the best fighter they got was um, the Wolf. Uh, what was his, his name? Um, oh, man, Tia Trezang. Right. He's not in the UFC anymore. China doesn't have a MMA scene, and they do, well, they do have one, but they're not very good. Yeah, well, like, Dana White's trying to change time. that. Dana White's trying to change that because there's a lot of people in China, which means there's a lot of money there. You know how Dana White looks at it, man? He's just like, look, we do one or two events there. Well, I ain't about to watch that. I mean, I'll, I'll catch the finale and see if there's anybody worth watching, but I ain't about to say watch what's going to probably be some really piss poor MMA. <laughs> I'm curious to see who they put as an opposing coach against Kung Lee, though. Because obviously the coach has got to fight. It would, it would have to be somebody he would fight. It would have to be somebody that had like a Chinese... Uh, a fan base. Some sort uh, of a fan base over fan there. base or maybe a Chinese background of some sort. Yep. It wasn't Mark Moon. No, he was born in Japan. Um... Yeah, it's tough, dude. It's a, it's a, it, uh, that's uh, tough. Well, no, he's Korean. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I mean. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how they put that together. Uh, you know, they know I was saying, you know, that Lee would probably be one of the, the best chances, uh, you know, one of the most probable choices. Um, the show's going to air on um, Liaoning TV in China. And again, you know, featherweight and lightweight. So, you know, they're trying to get, they're trying to, to, to bolster those divisions, which, I mean, I'm not going to complain. And I, I'm sure you're not either to get that featherweight division stacked, you know? Yeah, if they can find quality fighters. That's my only thing. Like, I don't care if you do it. Just find quality fighters. And China doesn't have very many of those. But we'll see. Maybe they'll find some divers in the rough. Yeah, you never know, man. I'm curious to see that they're doing that other one with um, with Canada. And Patrick Cote is coaching. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand why he's coaching. But... Uh, there should be some good fighters on there. Canada has good fighters. I don't understand the coaching choice of Patrick Ote, but you know, uh, okay. But it should be a decent. That should be a decent season. They they have very good fighters in Canada. That a lot of which have not been signed up by the UFC yet. Well, Henan Barrow has a date with Eddie Wineland now officially set for um, September twenty first in Toronto. With the you know with the main event with Jones and Gustafson, so they'll probably be the co-main on that. Yeah, that should that should be a good fight. Um, I'm happy that Eddie Wyland finally, mm, excuse me, um, uh, is getting his title shot because for a while there it looked like he wouldn't. Yep. So good for him. Uh, Hector Lombard is meeting Nate Marquardt. How about that? Should be a good fight. I'm interested to see what Hector Lombard looks like at 170. Um, oh, dude, he's still like a little fire hydrant man. Dude, he's saw so, he's sawing off like his leg. He's sawing off like oh this ankle. Actually, he, I don't he need he it. He's fought at 170 before. He's fought at 170 a couple times. He just chose not to for a long time. Um, I think I think he'll, he he might have a very similar body to what Nate Marquardt has at 170. Still be like big and thick, but. I don't know. I'm interested to see this fight. It's a it's a it's a career fight for both of them. Yep. Like whichever one loses is done, basically. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Marquardt, considering his rocky relationship with the UFC, this this might be it. Yeah, and same thing with Hector Lombard, who 
paid absorbent amounts of money from the UFC. Yep, especially after they snagged him from Bellator and they got no payday off of him yet. Yep, snagged him from Bellator, uh, signed him to a UFC sponsorship, which is just their excuse to give you more money. Right. And, um, you know, paying him, I believe, something like $180 million a fight or something, $180,000 a fight or something like that, so... Well, another fight that came together, which I'm actually pumped to see, is um, Gilbert Melendez and Diego Sanchez are meeting at UFC 166. Gilbert Melendez is about to get his ass beat. <laughs> 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 I-, I heard about that. I was like, oh, wow. I just want that to... sucks for Gilbert uh, Diego Sanchez. I, <laughs> I just want to see the, the, the yelling slam. Ah! <laughs> just slapping him on the ground. I, I, he's gonna get hurt. Like Diego Sanchez didn't beat Takanori Gomi. He's not gonna do anything to Gilbert Melendez. He's gonna beat up. It's gonna be a solid fight though. Like those guys, those guys are gonna go out there and put on a nice show. Oh, it's gonna be a solid fight because I mean uh, Diego Sanchez is not going to like get knocked out. He doesn't. That doesn't happen. But he's gonna get outclassed. Um, it should be fun to watch though. No, for sure. Um. Of course, Nick Diaz's retirement was brought up. They're asking Dana White about it. He was saying, yeah, Nick Diaz broke up with his girlfriend and he wants a fight. So, you know, they're going to try and set something up for him. I I, I uh, kind of figured... Diaz, oh, unstable ass. <laughs> I mean, who you who are you going to give him? I mean, you could give him, you know, maybe the, the winner of McDonald and Ellenberger for a... Uh, that would be interest. That would be very interesting for a um, contention fight. Uh, you probably give him a loser or something. So you probably give him a either loser of that fight, maybe. Uh, or you give him Hendricks if Hendricks loses against GSP. Um. Yeah. You can. Or you could just do the uh, Carlos Condit uh, Nick Diaz rematch. You could do that. I would. I would love to see that. You could. I, you make could, sure it's five rounds, and then I'd, I'd love to see that. Oh, yeah, make that shit five rounds for sure, just just because. Yeah, that, that'd be an awesome fight. So, Bellator 97 goes is official now, goes down at the end of the month. Chandler, Dave Rickles for the lightweight title. Askren is defending against Andre Koroshkov for the uh, welterweight title. The light heavyweight tournament final came together. King Mo, Jacob No. Ryan Martinez is taking on Vitaly Minakov. That's for the heavyweight tournament final. And Rob Emerson is fighting Patricio Pitbull Ferre on the main card on the 31st. Should be a good card. Should be uh, a good card. <laughs> and then, of course, this Saturday, the ladies are taking center stage with um, Invicta FC6. Uh, featherweight t- inaugural featherweight title fight, Marlos Kunin and Cyborg, which I'm, I'm looking forward to that fight. Somebody, Somebody's getting hurt. Very badly. Yeah, that's um, gonna be a problem. Yeah, it should be should be a good good card. Um, hopefully, Miles Kunin does better in this fight than she did the first time they fought. Um, outside of that, it should be a good fun card. Yeah, I um, the injury bug of course struck, and Mitrione is out of his fight with Brendan Schaub. And uh, between you and I, I just didn't give two fucks either way <laughs> about that fight. Yeah, I completely forgot that fight existed. Um, <laughs> but you know, um, should uh, so they're not giving them anybody else. Um, As of right now, they're saying well, that they might they might put the bout on a later card. Oh well, 
I mean, if they do that, it, I guess it'll be uh, probably um, closer to the end of the year. Fight to watch, but yeah, probably, probably, probably the end of the year because it depends on what what what's wrong with him. I was bummed about um, Brian Stan retiring, but I respect the way he did it. Yes, sir. Um, like like I was saying earlier about uh, GSP, like a lot of fighters don't know when to say when, and it's really good that he does. Yep. Um, he he knows his limits. He doesn't want to continue, you know, taking brain downs and stuff. And I commend him for deciding when was when on his own, not having someone else having to decide it for him. Yeah, I respect that. And, and plus, he realized that he had a, a solid presence on TV as an analyst. So he's actually doing um, Fox Sports. He's doing uh, football with Fox Sports College Ball. Yeah, yeah I, I had noticed that he, he was doing other commentary because, uh, like, Golden Boy Promotions comes on Fuel, and he was doing the boxing uh, commentary one day when I was just happened to be flipping through. And... Uh, yeah, he sounds pretty good at it. He's he's good at it. I'm I'd be interested to I'll be interested to hear him, you know, do ACC football this is I guess it starts this year. Yep. This year. Yeah, I mean, you know, he walks out of that he walks out of the the organization with a 6 and 5 record. I mean, you know, he he had a, an awesome war with Vandalay Silva, so I, I I take nothing away from the dude. Yeah. Yeah, he he had a very good he had a a good career. Not not a not a Hall of Fame worthy career or anything like that, but a very good career. Well, the the injury bug also struck UFC on Fox Eight. Uh, Robbie Lawler is now on his third opponent. Tarek Safadine was a, the original guy. He's out. Cr the Killer is out now, and um, he's going to fight Bobby Volker at the end of the month. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- it, this would probably affect a lot of other fighters a little bit worse than it will Robbie Lawler. He's going to do exactly the same thing for all of these dudes. So I, I expect him still to be. Yeah, it's going to be Napalm Fist Central. Out. It's going to be Napalm Fist Central, dude. Yeah. So. Yeah, he's probably still going to win my knockout. <laughs> the, last, the last bit of MMA news is pretty much your, your, your some what the fuck MMA news. Haven't had this in a while. And of course, it wouldn't be that type of a segment without it involving everyone's favorite former UFC fighter, now UFC Hall of Famer, Tito Ortiz. Rumors are running rampant that he is coming out of retirement and possibly going to Bellator. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Um, I'm shocked you didn't hang up after hearing that. <laughs> I hope he doesn't. Um, I really hope he doesn't. It wouldn't. I don't think that would be a good idea for him. He he should stay retired for his own safety and the <laughs> fact that he's probably not. He, he should stay retired. There's no reason for him to come out of retirement. Well, what kills me, it's like, yo, what what kind, what are they offering you to to come through? Coaching slot, reality series, like like what are they doing for you? Not not no disrespect to Tito, but it's like, yo. Did Jenna Jameson take half of your money that you talking about coming out there to fight? I mean, don't get me wrong. You, of course, you know she 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 sucked two kids out of you and your talent. So now that you're separated from her, you want to try and redeem yourself. I kind of think the ship is fucking sailed. Yeah, he he needs <laughs> to just not like there, there's no 
no reason to do it. Like, that that's it. Like it's it's just there's really no reason to to go to do it at all. He could he could probably coach. You know what I mean? Like like Tito's not a bad coach. When he coached on the Ultimate Fighter, it was always good to watch. It was always extremely enjoyable to watch. He had a great understanding with 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 the with the athletes that he coached. He had great camaraderie with those guys. It, that's fine. But it's like it's like dude, you don't need to you don't need to do that shit. You don't. You're fighting guys especially if you come in there trying to fight at 205. You're fighting killers now. I mean not a bunch of them. But, uh, no, 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 just in general, in you know like you're fighting dudes fight. that are that are not one dimensional anymore. Yeah. I I don't know. Um he should not come out of retirement. There's there's no reason to it's it would be a really bad idea, and hopefully he's just talking. I mean, considering this is a Tito Ortiz, not 90% chance he's just talking out of his ass. <laughs> but, you know, hopefully he, he decided he doesn't do that because it, just, it would not end well for him. And it's like, yo, I understand, you know, you think you got something to prove, and that's fine. But it's just like, come on, dude, just just let it let it the fuck go. Let it go. Like you retired yeah. and you good. Leave it alone. Basically, there's no reason to do this. Like, just stay retired, dude. Because you're going to cheapen your own legacy by doing stuff like this. There you go. That 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 is actually the the best response for that. You're gonna you're gonna cheapen your legacy, and people are just gonna be like, "Yo, you did it because you got to pay this chick alimony." <laughs> you doing al- <laughs> you doing alimony fights? <laughs> Yeah, alimony fight. That's it. That's it. Bellator. The Bellator alimony series emanates for you live from you know Las Cruces, New Mexico. In the main event, Tito Ortiz is fighting Rampage. <laughs> Who also is probably paying alimony to someone? <laughs> don't get me. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I would. I would watch a Tito and Rampage fight at two hundred five, and a, and a King Mo and Tito fight. But that's it. Um. Yeah, they'd be they'd be fun to watch, but I, I hopefully, like I said, hopefully he's not not <laughs> planning on actually doing this. Well, there you have it. That actually um wraps up the segment for this week. What's what's going on with the um with the hip hop podcast? Did you put it on the on the back show? Oh, uh, we 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 actually recorded a couple uh reviews um last night. Uh, so we uh we're gonna start posting videos again. Um, once we get everything situated, uh, going to do a podcast. We haven't done that yet because my work schedule is at the moment not set in stone. So we don't know when I'm going to be able to do it yet. So once we get everything figured out with that, we will have a podcast prepared. I know it's taking a really long time. (laughs) Things started happening. I know. I know you reviewed Magna Carta in one of those, right? Yeah. Okay. We just reviewed that. <laughs> we reviewed that last night. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Just saying, because that—that's everybody's. Everybody's all conflicted about that and about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We reviewed that too. A <laughs> lot, lot of lot of conflict. All right. Um, you guys can follow Ben on Twitter at blackout eighty nine. Anything else you want to add? Uh, no, that's it. All right, dude. I will catch you later. All right, man. Peace. Peace. All right, that was Ben. You can find him on Twitter at Blackout89. 
All right, guys, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it is time to talk some wrestling. Uh, My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by WWEShop.com, which actually is running a sale 40% off on their DVDs and Blu-rays today. Well, actually, it was today only. I retract my statement since it's after midnight. Kind of fucked that up. Anyway, yeah, it's brought to you by WWEShop.com. You want to help out the site, make sure to check out the WWE Shop banners on MyTakeRadio.com. Click them, buy some shit, helps us out. There you go. Anyway, let's talk some wrestling, shall we? Booker, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! to give the Wyatts a little love for this week's wrestling segment. Let's get the ball rolling and talk about Monday Night Raw first. Raw this week was... It was it was interesting, and I'll tell you why. Look, let's, let's look at it this way. The big sell was the Vicky Guerrero job performance review, which, not for nothing, if you work a regular 9-to-5 job and you're getting a review, it's always a big event because either you're getting more money or you're getting shown the door. So... In Vicky's case, it was either we're going to get her as a full-time Raw GM or the payoff is going to be that she's going to get fired. So definitely something I was looking forward to. Um, you know, it's it's interesting the way that they were kind of building it up because it was like all three McMahons or two McMahons and Triple H were going to do her review and, um, you know, we were, we were going to find out what the deal is. So... Of course, they're probably going to save that for later on in the evening, and that was the case. But I actually want to get into some of the matches from Raw because we had Daniel Bryan and Sheamus in um, what was a surprisingly solid match. Very, very good match. Um, Got the roll-up on Sheamus. Sheamus broke out the cloverleaf. We got to see the yes lock. Um, Actually, some solid chemistry between them. I mean, after Sheamus' 18-second victory on Daniel Bryan, I always felt that the potential for those guys having a solid feud was just really, really never utilized to its fullest potential. I think the 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 use of strong style by Sheamus complements Daniel Bryan because Daniel Bryan works strong style very well if he is given the opportunity to utilize it. So, again, a solid opener to get the ball rolling. I was very impressed. I Like I said, I liked it. It was a, a quick match. Um, there was a lot of excitement. And honestly, it was probably one of the first matches in a while where Sheamus actually looked good. It wasn't wasn't his typical, you know, bang myself on the chest and yell fella, bro kick, celebrate and walk out. It was, you know, it was hard hitting, which was good. Um, We got ourselves a nice little little AJ segment, which was okay. You know, with Dolph, eh, you know, I, I mean... I, you can see already that they're teasing the separation with um, AJ and Dolph and Dolph doing his own thing. So, you know, I it's fine. I think Dolph, again, 
has graduated past the point of needing any sort of a manager, and the crowd is really digging him anyway. So if anything, I think AJ would be better suited to work with Big E, only because I don't think Big E's given enough time on the microphone, and AJ can really help that along. Um, but, you know, it's just a, just the the usual filler for the evening. Our second match of the night was The Shield and Tons of Funk, which was actually very, very good. Um... You know Rollins, Rollins with the beautiful kick, um, and Reigns with the with the nasty spear, nasty. Um, the you know, I, I will say this, um, Roman Reigns when he's in there, you can still see a little bit of. I don't want to say uh, trepidation or rust because it's not that, but he hasn't fully become comfortable. On the main stage. Like he gets in there. He does a couple power moves. And it's a quick tag out. So you he doesn't really get as much ring time. In my opinion during matches. As a Seth Rollins. If you see Seth Rollins in there. He, he's bouncing around. He's all over the place. He's he's really making it work. And, and Reigns comes in usually for cleanup. Which is good and bad. It's good because you know he's going to deliver the big spot with the spear. I But I think it's bad. Because it doesn't give him the opportunity to start developing chemistry with certain competitors. I think in in Rollins' case, you guys all talked about how well he did with Daniel Bryan in a lot of matches, and you're seeing that, you know, because Rollins is starting to develop that natural chemistry with the rest of the members of the roster that will obviously lead to many great singles matches down the road. In Reigns' case, we're not really getting that. We're just getting... A couple of power moves, some plotting, you know, punch, kick, punch, and then the big finish. And I think that that's actually to Reigns' detriment. I'm hoping in the tag match with the Usos, we'll get to see Reigns get more time in there and really start building those, you know, building that chemistry with the rest of the members of the roster because I think that's what's going to help these guys improve even more so. I mean, Ambrose is already leaps and bounds ahead of both of these guys, Rollins being a close second, but Reigns can definitely hit his own stride. He definitely can. That's all I'm going to say. So, you know, we got our, our Mark Henry segment, blah, blah, blah. Chris Jericho takes on Curtis Axel, and uh, The Miz is out there, obviously setting that up. And, um, you know, uh, again, solid match. Chris Jericho makes everybody look good. Um, I think that Curtis Axel still hasn't hit his stride either from a um, from a connecting with the crowd standpoint. Curtis Axel's wrestling is, without a doubt, solid. There's never any questions that his wrestling is going to be shitty because it's not. The only thing that hinders Curtis Axel is being able to connect with the audience. Because when I when I watch Curtis Axel wrestle, I can't even really boo the guy because I'm not even interested enough in him to boo him. That's what I'm saying. Like His alignment with Heyman is good for that because Heyman's going to find a way to utilize some sort of an intangible, something that we haven't seen yet to help Curtis Axel get over. You know, that's that's how I see it. I think that that's the problem with with that particular with with Curtis Axel's character. It's not the pedigree. It's not the wrestling. It's the connection that's missing between him and the rest of the and, and the audience. It's not it's not the wrestling. It's not. It's just being able to connect with the audience that really just trips me out. But I'm sure with, with with Paul Heyman at the helm, that will change very soon. 
Sin Cara took on Alberto Del Rio in what pretty much amounts to a uh, bait and switch, which was which was good. Um, you know, I I I like the way it went. Um, you know, it was it was interesting because Del Rio and and, and Sin Cara have have good chemistry, and I expected them to have a better match. Uh, Ziggler cutting the promo while the match continued was a a little weird because it's not something we see. I mean, it's I equated it to you know Fandango dancing while the match went on. It just felt a little out of place. Sin Cara and Del Rio probably could have given us a good match. Really, it, it could have given us a good match. But um, you know, it is what it is. So of course we get our you know our big our big reveal. Uh, Vicky Guerrero gets the evaluation. They look at the poll from the WWE app, which they got to plug, you know, 60 times on air. 75% of the audience felt that Vicky Guerrero failed at her job. 25% of course thought that she passed. Um, and, uh, you know, she's fired, gets the boot. She's out. Vince McMahon wasn't too happy about it, but you know, Vince McMahon makes amends and promotes Brad Maddox to GM of Raw, which is actually very interesting, and and you know, to give credit to uh, to Jay Lee in the chat, it's it's surprising because I've I always thought that Maddox would really start seeing some in ring time with the firing of Vicky Guerrero, but I think they believe in him enough as a smarmy douchebag, a la Eric Bischoff, to do the job managing Raw, and and I'm curious, I'm definitely curious. Um, I don't hate Brad Maddox. On the contrary, I think that his his stage presence is is great. I think he has a uh, great connection with the camera. He knows how to play that smarmy douchebag really well. Um, he knows how to how to you know slick talk, which works. And above all else, he really he embodies a, a superstar. He has that look. I mean, he's not the most the, the biggest guy on the roster, but he 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 has a face for television. He he really can. Um, you know, it was it was just weird. It was just weird the way it went. Um, Mortis, to answer your question, I believe Vince made him Vicky's assistant, if I remember correctly. I think that's what happened because Brad Max was wandering around and some shit. And I think that's how they gave him the job. Some 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 crazy shit. You know you know how it goes. But I will say that you know Maddox Vicky Guerrero being relegated to something else is better. Ah, yes, it was after the Shield whooped his ass. Thank you, Slick. I will say this. If rumors are to be believed, what, what's going to happen with Vicky Guerrero, and I'll share that later on in the wrestling segment, may benefit uh, somebody somebody on the roster that really needs fucking help. That's all I'm going to say. So we get a match with Kane and Christian, which was which was good. You know, um, you know Christian... Was going for the spear, and Kane caught him with a clothesline, of all things. Anyway, Kane was getting ready to celebrate. We got the final Wyatt video and the Wyatt's debut and pretty much murder-death-kill Kane. And um, it's very weird because the the beating that Kane suffered and the alleged injuries that he have may actually eliminate him from the Money in the Bank match. So it's very interesting to see where they're going to go with this. We're going to find out Kane's fate tomorrow, or should I say today, since it's, 12, it's after midnight. Um, I, the, the payoff is supposed to be a match with The Undertaker and Kane against the Wyatts, and I'll discuss that later on 
as to how that can be in jeopardy as well. But a solid debut by the Wyatts. They looked really good. Music is on point. The the vignettes were on point. Uh, the look of the characters was good. I mean, the crowd was chanting Husky Harris, whatever. I mean, it is what it is. It's the equivalent of, you know, Big T getting the Albert chance or, you know, Ryback getting the Skip Sheffield chance or the Goldberg chance. It's fine. I think the Wyatts have a tremendous future in the company as a stable and even individually because each of those guys has has great uh, wrestling background when it comes to singles competition as well. So a solid debut overall. Uh, we get a re- we get a, of course the recap, the obligatory recap of Vicky getting fired, and um, yeah, AJ and Alicia Fox versus Layla and Caitlyn. Uh, the only good thing out of this match was the it was the Caitlyn spear on AJ. The match itself was shit. The Bellas were on commentary, which was just it was the Bellas on commentary was just garbage, complete garbage. It, it really is. They just they just come out there and they. They're, I don't understand the the infatuation with the Bellas because they're shitty. They are shitty. They can't really wrestle that good, and their promo work is just atrocious. So, last match of the night, CM Punk and Randy Orton, which was very good. We got a good match out of Orton. Uh, Daniel Bryan comes out, kills Randy Orton dead, grabs the briefcase, of course. All signs point to Daniel Bryan winning the money in the bank, which I hope does happen. Uh, the match itself was very good. Like I said, Punk was really uh, bringing a really, really solid match out of Orton. Not to say that Orton matches are shitty, but there are instances where he does kind of phone it in. So it was refreshing to see um, an energized Orton give us a solid match. So overall, Raw was was pretty good. I mean, you know, Quark did uh, the latest buried, and he, he said the same thing. The last couple of Raws have been been solid i mean if i had to rate it i'd say maybe a seven out of ten because it was it was okay it had some hiccups here or there but there's a lot of things that are going to be set up not only for money in the bank but going forward so with that let's get into the the other news for this week so first up uh wwe is increasing their presence at san diego comic-con this year um, you're going to have an autograph session with The Miz and Dolph Ziggler uh, July 18th from 3 to 4. So if you're at San Diego Comic-Con and want to meet The Miz or Dolph Ziggler, uh, July 18th from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m., uh, the tickets are first come, first serve. On the 19th, you can meet Rey Mysterio, Mick Foley, and Daniel Bryan. That's July 19th from 11 to 12 p.m. Um, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. you got to stop by uh, to get your tickets at 9.30 in the morning. Tickets are first come, first serve. And last but not least, on the 20th, you can meet Sheamus or Ryback. Same rules apply. Get your tickets by 9.30. First come, first serve. Anyway, as I mentioned, um, Kane's attack leads to what they were going to do, the angle, which was going to be the Wyatt family against Kane and the Undertaker at SummerSlam. But it seems that the Undertaker is actually dealing with some injuries that he reportedly sustained during his TV angle with The Shield. So this puts a couple of things in jeopardy. Obviously, Kane's money in the bank slot, but also the potential Brothers of Destruction versus Wyatt family match at SummerSlam. So SummerSlam, we still got a little bit of time before it goes down, so we'll see what happens. Most likely, maybe Kane will come back with either uh, two other two you know two other people on the roster that may join with him to fight the Wyatts, or they may just scrap that match entirely. But 
as of right now, Kane is questionable for Money in the Bank, and The Undertaker is on the injured list. In some TNA news, Matt Morgan asked for his release from TNA, and it was granted. So all signs point to Matt Morgan not only being a free agent, but I wouldn't doubt he'd come back to the WWE as well. I think Matt Morgan is another one of those guys, another big guy that has tremendous potential as long as they don't give him the stupid stuttering gimmick to do well. He's incredibly agile. He has a good look about him. His mic work is is decent, but you got to look at it. There's really three big guys on the entire roster at this point. Kane, Big Show, and the Great Khali. And I'm just talking about big guys. I'm not talking about jack dudes like the big uh, like uh mark henry i'm just talking about tall in stature i think you know kane's probably got a couple of more years left i'd say five years before he he retires the big show's always on and off and the great collie just get him the fuck off my fucking television screen but uh morgan would be a welcome addition i think like i said he's young he brings uh some fresh energy to the to the equation and he may succeed and to answer your question mort is yes matt morgan was on tough enough He was actually chubby on Tough Enough. Kenny King from TNA was also on Tough Enough as well in the event that you didn't know. But um, Matt Morgan would be a solid pickup for WWE. Like I said, in in terms of getting another big guy in there that moves well, it it wouldn't be a bad move. So Randy Orton's in the news this week, and no, it's not for smoking weed or shitting in a diva's bag or anything else, but he's actually in the news because he got divorced from his wife. It was on TMZ, and the interesting thing about this was that we actually got to find out how much Randy Orton made, and also we got some details of his divorce as well. Check this shit out. So his wife filed for divorce in March, claiming that the marriage was irretrievably broken. The divorce order was officially signed last month. They have a one-year-old daughter together. Um... Basically, they get a they have a separation agreement, which um, pretty much breaks down what each person gets. So get this. Randy Orton in the deal walks away with his 2012 Range Rover, a 2011 Bentley and a 2009 Harley Davidson. Randy Orton's wife gets her 2013 Infinity as a uh, wonderful parting gift. Randy Orton also gets several six-figure bank accounts, his gun collection, his jewelry, and one house. He also gets all rights, including title and interest in his WWE contract, meaning obviously she can't claim any money from his contract. Now get this, according to the to what TMZ published, Randy Orton makes $291,000 a month in salary. Randy Orton's wife will be getting a bank account that contains $654,317 along with her jewelry, which includes a $99,000 engagement ring. Plus, of course, she gets one house as a lovely parting gift. His wife also will be getting sole legal and physical custody of their daughter with Randy Orton getting visitation rights, and he will pay $4,500 a month in child support. So, a couple of interesting things came out of this. Number one... Randy Orton is back on the market, so I'm sure any diva who's not tied down with anybody is going to be on his hit list. Number two, we find out that Randy Orton makes $300,000 a month. Number three, we also find out that Randy Orton has a Bentley and a Harley and a Range Rover and some jewelry. Now, and above all else, we find out that he bought his wife a $99,000 engagement ring. 
holy shit. So Mortis in the chat says uh, for, for $4,500 a month out of $2,291,000 isn't so bad. Randy got out of this divorce pretty good. Yeah, well, you know what's funny? They came to a separation agreement. So, you know, they, they came down, they broke it down to brass tacks, and they divvied up the assets. It's not, It's a little different than, say, the John Cena situation because the John Cena situation was was just, you know, there was a lot more involved and... They may have not had any sort of paperwork. And this is the kind of thing that's very, I don't want to say it's commonplace, but you got to look at it from the standpoint that you're on the road 350 days a year, roughly. And you're trying to, you're, you're going to be married. You're hardly ever home. You're either going to step out on your old lady or your old lady's going to step out on you. And your kid may never see you and grow up alone. So, I, these are the kind of things like like divorces in wrestling are 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 they don't shock me. Uh, it's unfortunate, obviously, you know, because obviously they got a four year old little girl. But I'm just saying it from the standpoint that these it, it shouldn't come as a surprise. You how are you going to connect with a significant other? I mean, they were married since 2007, so it's not like it was a short marriage. But I, again, you're on the road 300 and something days a year. Yeah, the money is good, but that that intangible of, you know, just being there for your significant other is non-existent. In Randy Orton's case, you know, to to say, go with what Mortis said, the guy walks away with with $291,000 a month out of which he's got to just give away, you know, 4500, let, let's just say 5 grand a month. So, still he's going to have like $280,000 a month. Not to mention, he still has the Bentley that he can sell if he chooses, and he's got a six, several six-figure bank accounts. Several. Just saying. So, he makes that $291,000, but he's also got money stacked. Randy Orton is good. He's good. The, the, I think that's partly the reason why sometimes he's such a fucking lazy schmuck in the fucking ring. Because he's made a shitload of money. He could probably retire from wrestling tomorrow and just chill. Because he's got that kind of money. And any organization he went to would probably, even if even if he went to TNA tomorrow, TNA would probably bust him down with at least a hundred grand, at least. Spike TV. Well, let's not talk about it from a TNA standpoint. Let's talk about it from a Spike TV standpoint. That's what I'm. Spike TV be like, yo, give that dude a hundred grand. And to go with what Dark Helmet says, Dark Helmet in the chat says that's why wrestlers and divas hook up, and it's true because they're on the road together. You know, it's that road life. I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes that bites them in the ass too. But most times, the the, the pairings in, in professional wrestling between divas and wrestlers, they just work out a little better. Unless, of course, you're John Morrison and Molina or you're Mickey James. But, you know, again, it, it works out fairly well for all parties involved. We'll see what happens. So, um... As of right now, all signs are pointing to Ryback beating Chris Jericho at Money in the Bank and being managed by Vicky Guerrero. So, um, yeah. But before any of you guys say that that's a that that's gonna be that's gonna suck, let's talk about it from a from this standpoint. Ryback's heel turn has been abysmal. His mic work is shit. Meanwhile, Vicky Guerrero is a heat machine. She is a glorified heat magnet. She will be nothing but beneficial to Ryback. She will. She will help Ryback 
immensely. And you don't even gotta make it that 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 she that she's sleeping with him or that she's in love with him. She, Vicky Guerrero could just have Vicky Guerrero guys, just like Paul Heyman guys. You could have Guerrero guys, and and Ryback needs it. He needs it because as a heel, he sucks. He completely fucking sucks as a heel. And now that they're giving him the cryback gimmick, forget it. It's even worse. It's, it's even fucking worse. I will say this. If Vicky Guerrero cannot help Ryback get over as a heel, then <laughs> I got I, I got no other remedies because, seriously, he needs all the help he can get. So the last bit of wrestling news for this evening is that WWE launched their performance center in Florida. Of course, this is going to be now their brand new developmental territory, which is going to hopefully churn out all the superstars of the future. Uh, the grand opening had... Um, you know, Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, all the usual suspects were there. Uh, Mark Henry, Michael Cole, Big Show, Tensai, uh, The Shield, Drew McIntyre, Rosa Mendez, uh, Bill DeMott was there, Jim Ross, Michael Hayes. And um, the trainers that are there are Steve Kern, Sarah Del Rey, Billy Gunn, Terry Taylor, Joey Mercury, and Norman Smiley. So not for nothing, you got a pretty solid talent pool in there to, um, you know, you, you, you have a pretty solid talent pool to get some good wrestlers out of the WWE Performance Center, which reportedly cost $2.3 million, you know? So there you have it. The Performance Center is official. Um, as of right now, I believe, uh, Sammy Callahan is reporting down there. I wouldn't doubt that El Generico now known as Sammy Zayn would probably get the next call up. So they got a pretty solid roster. I'm hearing rumors that the American wolves from ring of honor may be heading over there. Uh, same thing with Rhett Titus. I'm hearing there's always rumors that the Briscoes may be heading over there, but I will say this, um, Matt Morgan, I'm saying just, just get him in there. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, screaming Norman Smiley is is something I can never forget. Mortis, I, nothing, nothing. There's no better memory of Norman Smiley. I think he fought Goldberg, and he came out wearing like a football uniform, and Goldberg just pretty much split him in half with the spear and just killed him dead with the jackhammer. And yes, I I believe Terry Taylor was the Red Rooster. No, no, was he? Uh, no, the Red Rooster died. What? No, wait, wait. Who was the guy that... Ah, Texas Tornado. Sorry. Texas Tornado was the guy that died. Terry Taylor was the Red Rooster. It's been a while. I'm a little rusty. I'm breaking my balls. But yeah. So, you got the Red Rooster, Mr. Ass, Joey Mercury, Screaming Norman Smiley, uh, Death Ray, Sarah Del Rey, and Steve Kern in there. And yes, Kerry Von Erich was the Texas Tornado. Thank you, Slick. Anyway. So, Performance Center active, $2.3 million. Hopefully, we'll get some more superstars on the main roster in the near future. Anyway, that actually is going to wrap up our wrestling segment for this week. Let's get into some video games because we got quite a bit to discuss there as well.
All right, so we got a lot going on on the gaming side of things. It seems that Xbox Live is going to, um, you know, break out a brand new reputation system to monitor shitty gamers online. Um, Microsoft senior product manager Mike Lavin actually spoke to the official Xbox magazine and shed some light on it. The way the system is going to work is that it's going to examine players that are consistently blocked or are the subject of enforcement action. Then those players are going to be relegated to another matchmaking layer. In other words, if we see consistently that people, for instance, don't like playing with you or you're consistently blocked, then you're going to be the subject of enforcement actions, at which point they're going to reduce your reputation score. So in other words, if you're the guy that likes to fucking put pictures of his balls up when you're playing Uno online, they're going to make you play with the rest of the individuals that like to show their balls online. Simple as that. Anyway, the way the, the funny thing is that there's no way that people can conspire to sink your reputation. The way that the system is built is allegedly going to stop that. If they, you know, if if you're, you know, they they're looking at things that are blatant. In other words, you know, like I said, in, uh, naked pictures of yourself, any shit like that. So it, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be very interesting to see how they're gonna use that reputation layer. But you know what? We've already seen some of this stuff with, um, you know, Marvel versus Capcom and games like that, where if you constantly rage quit, you get ranked lower. Like it shows that, you know, you like to quit a lot. And th- there's a lot of games that have those safeguards in place. So I'm glad to see it spread across an entire console because it's true. I mean, nothing is more annoying. And I'm sure a lot of you guys can vouch for me if you're playing whether it's a, sp- a fighting game or a sports game or whatever, and you're playing it in a lobby and you're whooping somebody's ass and you're about to win or w- and all of a sudden, click, user has left the room. And then you got to take the time out and open up Messenger and send them a message that says, pussy, <laughs> or, or, you know, record a voice message or, or whatever it is. It's good that you can actually catch people, you know, that people can pay the price for that because that is kind of fucked up too. It's like, look, if you're playing the game and you're going to lose, you're going to lose. Accept it and move on. Either get better at the game or play with people that are on your skill level. But don't rage quit. And above all, don't don't think that just because there's one girl in a lobby that she wants to see a picture of your ball bag. Seriously. I forgot. A couple of weeks ago, I think I was in a... Um, was it an Injustice lobby? I think it was either an Injustice lobby or a... Um, what the fuck was I playing? I think it was Injustice. And there was a girl in there. She was playing. I believe she was using, uh, I think it was Shazam. Playing pretty good. She had her mic off for most of the most of the matches. And then people started talking in the lobbies. And she's like, oh, hey, how's it going? And it's like, are you a girl? <laughs> the wolves. The wolves in the chat room. Yo, why don't you, can you send me a pic? Like, like, play the fucking game, jerk job. Holy shit. I think I played, like, three games in there. And, and she was fairly good. I think it was funny because she was like, oh, you know, if, if you get a chance, um, I'll add, you know, add me or whatever. So I was going to add her. And, you know, it was like, oh, her mailbox was full. But she, cool chick. I don't even remember. I think it was, like, like Fatality 78 or, or whatever it was. Some shit. And, um, 
Seriously, her mic was off and she didn't even have a gamer tag that said, look at, look at me. Like her gamer tag wasn't, you know, estrogen 56 or I'm on the rag 28 or PMS 22, you know, all that shit. It was just a regular non-gender specific gamer tag. And we were, we were having some great games. And as soon as she put on the mic and she's like, oh, hey guys, you know, just wanted to say it's been great playing with you. You're a girl. It was, it was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah, see, Val put it best. It wasn't Gamer Babe 69 or shit like that. It was a regular gamer tag, and it's true. It's true. If you're out there talking to girls and all of a sudden you want to send them a picture of your bag, then you should be held accountable for it. Because guess what? Not every girl that wants to turn on their Xbox wants to see your ball bag or wants to send you pictures of their boobs. It's just fact. I'm curious to see, though, how well they're going to enforce it, because think about this, too. People can be dicks and try and, and you know, do things to lower your reputation as well. So we'll see how it pans out. But according to Microsoft, they have safeguards in place to prevent that from happening. All I want is for people that rage quit consistently to get fucking punished. Fuck those guys. Plague of locusts on their entire house. Anyway. Halo 4 is getting an extended shelf life with a brand new DLC bundle. Uh, Check it out. You are going to get the Champions DLC bundle available August 20th. You're going to get the Infinity Armor Pack, the Steel Skins Pack, and the Bullseye Pack. You can buy those packs together or separately. The Infinity Armor will include three new armor skins. Uh, The Steel Skins DLC will include steampunk looks for the weapons. And the Bullseye Pack will include two new multiplayer maps and a new version of Grav Ball called Ricochet. If you want your hands on the DLC pack, it's going to run you 800 Microsoft points. Meanwhile, on the WWE 2K14 front, if you want to get your hands on the game and pre-order it, you're in luck because if you do decide to pre-order it, you will get the Ultimate Warrior as DLC. So there you have it. According to WWE Magazine, if you pre-order the game, the Ultimate Warrior will be on DLC. There you have it, folks. Anyway, on the Xbox side of things for Summer of Arcade, you're going to start picking up the Summer of Arcade titles beginning August 7th, the first of which is Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, which will be out day one. It's going to run you 1,200 Microsoft points. That's being developed by Starbreeze. The week afterwards, you'll be able to pick up Charlie Murder, which is going to be 800 points. On the 21st, you can get Vector Cell. Uh, excuse me. Vector Cell is going to be releasing a remake of Flashback for 800 Microsoft points, and that's also being developed by Starbreeze. Uh, nope. Wow, I'm looking at two sets of different notes. Anyway, Vector Cell is releasing their remake of Flashback for 800 points. And, of course, to close out the Summer of Arcade Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows will run you 1,200 Microsoft points. Coming soon reports that uh, Sony Computer Entertainment and Naughty Dog's Last of Us sold 3.4 million copies. This includes both the Blu-ray disc and the downloadable version as of la- as of July 3rd. This is three weeks from the game's release. The game, of course, is a PS3 exclusive, and it's gotten immense great praise. Of course, you can see... Um, the review for it on mytakeradio.com. It is now the fastest selling PlayStation game of 2013. So there you have it. If you have not played The Last of Us, 
Definitely make it a point to do so. We got some 3DS news this week for those of you that are playing either Shin Megami Tensai 4 or Fire Emblem Awakening. Uh, if you do register both games on Club Nintendo, you'll get a $30 credit to use for any future eShop title or DLC. So there you have it. Both, of course, um, both re- retail and digital purchases are eligible for the deal. This begins when Shin Megami Tensai 4 releases on July 16th and runs through August 31st. So there you have it. And not only that, the deal is retroactive. So if you already own Fire Emblem and pick up uh, Shin Megami Tensai 4, you will still get the $30 credit. Yeah, well, that you know what it is? You got Fire Emblem Awakening, Mortis, but you need to get Shin Megami Tensai 4 also. Then you got to register both games on Club Nintendo to be eligible for the $30 credit. So there you have it. Mortis was was getting ready to unleash hell in there because he got the Awakening Special Edition. But just make sure you register both games to get that $30 credit. So last week we were talking about the restructuring of Microsoft and it seems that um, it's starting to really come together. BBC News shed some light on it. It seems that Steve Ballmer is going to create what's called the One Microsoft Strategy to make the company more efficient. The plan is that it's going to be a major overhauling of the company that's going to streamline the company around devices such as phones, games, consoles, and services. So in other words, think of it like this. Instead of having three separate divisions, each division is going to work together and it's going to be a um, you know a, a nice synergy uh, synergistic relationship. In other words, Xbox Live stuff is going to be on Windows 8 Mobile, which in turn will work on your Windows 8 desktop, etc., etc., etc. You guys get the deal. But the way it's looking though is that they want to create one experience, one company, one set of learnings, one set of apps, and one personal library of entertainment. One store for everything. So. I'm curious to see how they're going to bring this together. I mean, Windows 8 has been uh, received with mixed reviews as it is. I'm personally waiting for the 8.1 update before updating or building a new system. So I'm curious to see what Bomber has in mind. But it is true, yes, to, to quote Val, they are indeed using the Apple strategy. And not for nothing, I think that it may work better for Microsoft because you have so many different things out there that are really... Um, splintered in the sense that you really should make a unified store that offers your apps for mobile and desktop plus Xbox Live. I mean, I understand that this is all leading to the whole big relationship with Xbox One, but you also got to look at it from the standpoint that having everything split has led to shit just not being uh, functional and not being as well received. I mean, Windows Phone Mobile or Windows Mobile 8 depending on which phone you have, isn't a bad OS. I've, um, you know, I, I've played around with Windows Mobile, and me personally, I, I, I was originally an, an iPhone user, and um, I still use iOS in my day-to-day, whether it's my iPod or my iPad, but I've been an Android user because I'm really deeply entrenched in the Google ecosystem. And I'm not just talking about it for, for Gmail or things like that, but I'm also talking about it for stuff for the site as well. And let's be honest, you... You know, your tablet, your 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 browser, your phone, even if I decided to get a Chromebook laptop, 
you know, it, it all plays nicely together. It's all seamless. Like, you know, nothing is better than looking at something on your on your desktop in Chrome and then just just sending it over to your phone's Chrome browser and opening it up when you walk out the door. Uh, same thing with with contacts and things of that nature. I mean, they really do a great job with that. And even in Apple's case, the same rules apply if you're part of the of the Apple ecosystem. Windows is the only one that has shit fucking broken. I mean, they're starting to bring things together with Skype, allowing you to use your Windows ID, which you can use on Xbox Live, which you can use on Outlook. And it's great, but it's not there. And that's probably that in my opinion, that's been something that's really splintered Microsoft for quite some time. Everything just didn't play nice together. It, it was only after the Zoom came out that they really said, hey, we really should start making all this shit work together. And it's true. I mean, there's so many things there that would that would benefit not only Xbox Live users, but even Windows Mobile. It would make people want to embrace the platform because everything works well together. And it's funny, uh, Val says the Zoom was awesome. Rest in peace. I'm sure Slick will chime in because Slick was a Zoom owner. Slick loved his Zune. I remember when, when me and Slick became friends and I was like, holy shit, you got a Zune. Get the fuck out of here. And it was just, it was crazy because he was probably the fifth person I knew that said they loved owning it, you know, and they liked, the, they liked how easy it was to use. And I think that that's what Microsoft is missing. That exact statement, ease of use, you know? Ease of use is, is, is something that has plagued Microsoft forever, and it's something that Apple just, just makes work. I like <laughs> fucking Sun. Shout out to Suncast in the chat. What's Windows Mobile? It's true. I mean, I went to get uh, my father in law a phone for Father's Day uh, with my wife, and we went, and um, we saw the Windows Mobile phone, and he, he liked it. He liked all the little the, the sliders and all that shit, but. The funny thing is, he liked the sliders on the phone and all the live tiles, but he has a laptop with Windows 8 at home, and he hates that shit. So I said, you know what, let me not do it, because it's it's all fun and, and games until you get tired of it and you don't want to use your phone. It's It's crazy, because that's what I'm saying. Like, you have to create something that just plays nice across the board, and Windows 8, for all the bells and whistles and all the hate that it gets... It, it just needs an adjustment period. Me personally, I haven't, like I said, I haven't adjusted to it because I, I don't want to deal with two desktops, like going from, you know, the start screen to the, to the desktop and switching back and forth. I just don't like it. I don't like the tiles on the desktop. It's just not my thing. I like the tiles themselves. I just don't like them as the desktop, especially when I use so many apps. As a matter of fact, when we wrap up the show, I'm going to put a, a, a screenshot of my desktop so you guys can see what my desktop looks like and then visualize how crazy that shit would look with tiles. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a kick in the fucking nuts. So kudos to Microsoft for trying to do something different and really try and unify and make everything, you know, work well under one umbrella. And I, I got to agree with Suncast. He said, uh, managing wireless networks and windows eight is a bitch. You are not the first person that said that. I know a few people that they just, they just can't stand doing wireless networks on Windows 8. They, they can't stand it. That's one of the things that's kind of prevented me from upgrading. I mean, I, I have a wireless network set up in my house, but I also have a wired network as well. So hopefully after Windows 8.1, we'll, 
you know, maybe maybe my opinion will change. But for right now, I'm perfectly happy with seven professional. Anyway, those of you that have Call of Duty Black Ops 2 on PlayStation 3 and the PC are going to be are in line for some fresh DLC August 1st. You're getting the Vengeance DLC, which is going to include four new multiplayer maps, Cove, Detour, Rush and Uplink. You're also going to get a reimagining of the fan favorite map Summit from the original Call of Duty Black Ops. Also, you're going to get Buried, which is taking you to the Old West mining town, not the uh, Quark and Blade column. Uh, The maps are going to feature new weapons, new characters, and new challenges as well. Plus, you're going to get some uh, new guns and weapons to use in the Zombies map as well. Anyway, to close things out, Ratchet & Clank has a new game coming out, Ratchet & Clank Into the Nexus. It's uh, being billed as a single-player epilogue to Ratchet & Clank Future Tools of Destruction and Ratchet & Clank Future A Crack in Time. So there you have it. Insomniac is giving us a brand new installment of Ratchet & Clank. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up this week's gaming segment. Let's get into some entertainment and to get the ball rolling. I think this would be fitting for today. There you have it. Anyway, before we get into this week's entertainment segment, please note that Slick's review of Pacific Rim is officially live on MyTakeRadio.com. Go check it out if you want to know if you think the movie sucks or not. Slick will gladly tell you. So by all means, head over to MyTakeRadio.com and check out Slick's review of Pacific Rim. All right, so let's get this week's entertainment ball rolling with uh, Vin Diesel talking about uh, meeting with Marvel recently, of course, everybody's chomping at the bit to find out what Vin Diesel is doing with the Marvel Universe. A lot of people are speculating that Vin Diesel will be playing the Vision in the Avengers. Remains to be seen. Um, He could also be at, you know, they're saying that it will be revealed at San Diego Comic-Con, but um, a lot of people are saying that he may also be there to promote Riddick and Fast and Furious 7. I don't know how I feel about Vin Diesel playing uh, the Vision, but I can tell you that Vin Diesel, from a voice standpoint, would make a pretty good Thanos from a voice standpoint. I think he has that voice that would really work for, for Thanos' character. I don't know. I, I, I'm I not sure Vin Diesel would look good as the Vision, depending on how they do it. But voicing Thanos would be pretty badass, in my opinion. Anyway, we'll find out within the next couple of days what he's going to be doing and who he will be playing. Speaking of Marvel films, we got to talk about the Deadpool movie, which is pretty much, uh, you know, swept under the rug. But Ryan Reynolds did talk about it, saying the following. The movie is alive and kicking, and then it's dead as a doornail. Then it's alive and kicking, then it's dead. It's like the worst relationship I've ever had. The character knows he's a comic book character. He knows he's in a film. He knows who the executives are at the studio making the movie. In the current iteration of the script, Deadpool is aware of Wolverine's movie. He doesn't say anything disparaging, 
about it, but he does at one point play with the Deadpool action figure with some curiosity. So there you have it. Deadpool is still out there. I honestly think that it would do well, needs to be R-rated, and I think Ryan Reynolds would do good with it. I think he would he would make Wade Wilson interesting. Plus, with copious amounts of violence and tying it into the existing Marvel Universe, I think it would be a fun ride. Speaking of Ryan Reynolds, um, we may or may not be going to an advanced screening of R.I.P.D. Uh, next week. Actually, not next week. Possibly this weekend. If so, we will hopefully be interviewing Ryan Reynolds. So if that does happen, I will let you guys know what the deal is with that. I only got the information yesterday, so we'll see what the schedule permits and if we can make that happen for you guys. Slick, don't 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 hack me up yet because I just found out about it yesterday. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about box office totals. It should come as no shock that Despicable Me 2 ran roughshod over the box office at $82.5 million, earning $142 million total. The Lone Ranger comes in at number two. The Heat was number three. Monsters University was four. World War Z was five. White House Down was six. Man of Steel was seven. Kevin Hart was eight. This is the end was number nine. And Now You See Me was number ten. So... It should come as no shocker, but all signs are pointing to Elysium hitting theaters in IMAX August 9th. It is 100% official now that they will be going with the IMAX format. They are digitally remastering the film for release in IMAX theaters worldwide on August 9th. So there you have it. Stephen Amell was recently interviewed by Sci-Fi Now, and he said that he would love to appear in a Justice League movie as as Green Arrow. He said it, he thinks that Green Arrow is becoming increasingly popular and would have a great opportunity to be on par with a character like Iron Man, if successful. I will say this, Stephen Amell is a, um, he's really good as Green Arrow. He, I actually, he's one of the few actors I follow on Facebook who's remotely interesting. Very interesting, he likes to put up a lot of crazy videos. For some reason, he likes to do planking everywhere. But it's cool because he gives people a behind-the-scenes glimpse on what goes into making Green Arrow, uh, training parkour, um, a lot of that crazy stuff. He, he he answers fan questions. He's definitely one of the most fan-friendly TV guys. But um, I, I not for nothing, if you do a, a Justice League movie, Green Arrow should be a shoo-in, and Stephen Amell should indeed play him. We got our first bit of What the Fuck Movie News with a Day of the Dead remake once again. It looks like Millennium Films and Campbell Grobman Films are teaming up to remake the 1985 George Romero classic. The previous film was remade initially as a shitty, completely shitty straight-to-video remake in 2008 that had Mina Suvari, Nick Cannon, and Ving Rhames. You guys may remember that quite well. It was it was shit. That Day of the Dead was garbage. They're looking for this film to have a budget of about 10 to 20 million dollars and are shooting for a 2014 release date. The other bit of what the fuck movie news involves Spider-Man. Entertainment Weekly was talking about Andrew Garfield's desire for Mary Jane to be male. Andrew Garfield said, "Um 
I was kind of joking, but not joking about MJ. And I was like, what if MJ was a dude? Why can't we discover that Peter is exploring his sexuality? It's hardly even groundbreaking. So why can't he be gay? Why can't he be into boys? Garfield said that he'd like to see Michael B. Jordan as MJ. So, yeah, Mark Webb pretty much killed that idea. Now, here's here's the thing. And this, this was actually discussed on the fan page in a discussion between Ben and Quark. And I'll say this. If you wanted to introduce a character that was remotely different and wasn't, you know, was was not the status quo, I can understand. But you're like, you want to take an established character like Spider-Man and and just and and completely change not only his identity with the, with with the, you know, in the known Marvel universe, but just the way that people will view him. Again, it's not a question of whether you want to make Spider-Man gay or not or whether you want to make MJ a guy. I just feel that it's not something that's conducive to the character in the fucking least. In the least. And the reason I say that is, let's look at Ultimate Spider-Man. Ultimate Spider-Man, when Peter Parker died, you re- you you started with a fresh slate, Miles Morales, Hispanic, dark-skinned, the to- totally different from Peter Parker. But he is well-written, has great stories, and his nationality and ethnic background take a backseat to, to the character as a whole. That's all, that's all I'm saying. You want to take Peter Parker, established Peter Parker, who's, whose history and stories involving Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy and, and all these characters is so ingrained in, his, in the fabric of his persona, and you want to just turn that on its head because you want to do something different. Again, if you were doing a fresh take and you were using a different reimagining of Spider-Man, but you're using existing canon, existing Spider-Man, and you want to do that. It, it, and, and, you know, to quote what Val said, Val in the chat said, MJ helped define his character. I, it, 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 for the sake of wanting to make it different and making MJ a guy, and again, this has nothing to do with 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 being gay or being a lesbian or tranny or, or transsexual or or transgendered or whatever has nothing to do with that it has to do with the establishment of the characters the same uh, the same logic applied when when it was said that they wanted human torch to be black there's there's not even a new version of the fantastic 4 where you can do that it's it's ridiculous and again this has nothing to do with gender or sexual orientation. This just has to do with storytelling of the character. Not only that, but you're taking a character like Spider-Man and you're and you're and you want to try and and do this without any sort of preparation, without any sort of backstory. It's like, "Oh, he went from being in a relationship with Gwen Stacy to all of a sudden being in a and having a crush on a guy?" It makes no fucking sense. None whatsoever. It's stupid. It's a stupid way to do it. If you want to do something, if you want to do something crazy, here's what here's here's an idea. Why don't you make a character who it you could make a character that's a vi- let let's go with a villain 
who is not only a male, but is in love with Spider-Man. It would be different. You know, it would be different. Or you can make an ally of Spider-Man or, or a classmate or something and introduce something new and utilize that. I'm all for making, you know, the, the comic book universe is accessible to people of all backgrounds, of all sexual orientations. I'm all for that. Seriously, I'm all for introducing characters and doing things that are different that add to the overall dynamic. But to change existing characters in a way that's completely just, it doesn't make any sense in terms of advancing a character forward. It's stupid. That's like, here's a, here's a great example. If, if you did Fantastic Four and you made Ben Grimm black, no one would care. Because Ben Grimm is Ben Grimm. He, he becomes an orange monster. Nobody cares. I'll be 100% honest. If they turned around and they made and they made Bruce Banner black instead of white and he still becomes the Hulk, it wouldn't make a fucking difference. Wouldn't. That's what I'm saying. It, it wouldn't make a difference. Look at the Kingpin. The Kingpin is a large white man in the comic books. Michael Clark Duncan was an excellent Kingpin. Did anybody give a shit that he was black? No. You watch Superman the Animated Series. That Lex Luthor had a smooth, jive-talking voice. And he was black. If they made Lex Luthor black in the new Superman movie, I wouldn't give a shit. Because it's fine. You can take those liberties because race for those characters has no bearing. When people bitched about Idris Elba being Heimdall, it's the same thing. It's a fucking comic character. Who gives a shit? And again, if you turned around and you said, hey, we're going to make Peter Parker black, it wouldn't bug me. But the fact is that when you start changing you know, sexual preferences and going into that sort of territory for iconic characters without any kind of a backstory, it makes no fucking sense. It really it really makes no sense. If you told me, hey, you know, we were thinking about maybe making Harry Osborn gay. Honestly, wouldn't bother me. And you know what? It would create a different dynamic between him and his father that would still lead to the road that Harry Osborn took. I'll be 100% honest. It makes it if they if they said, "Hey, we're going to make Harry Osborn gay." People are going to be like, "You know that's stupid." But you know what? It would work. Because in terms of telling the story, one of the one of the one of the biggest dynamics between Harry Osborne and Norman Osborne is is Norman Osborne's constant insistence that Harry is a weak link, that he is not strong, that he is not as good he's not as good of a man as he is. 
It would be interesting and amazing storytelling if you did that. It would be good. It would be good storytelling. And it wouldn't, It honestly, and I'm a hardcore comic book fan, it wouldn't bug me because it would add to the overall dynamic of the story. But you're going to make, you want to do this, why? Like, legitimately, why? Because you want to make it that Spider, that Peter Parker's exploring his sexuality? Let me explain something to you, Andrew Garfield. Peter Parker is just a cog in the machine. People give a fuck about Spider-Man. Peter Parker is just part of the story. I'm serious. You know how many kids could give two shits about Peter Parker, but they care about Spider-Man? These are just the facts. One of the things that made Man of Steel such a great film was that you learned more about Clark Kent, the individual, and the flaws that he had. We know Peter Parker's flawed, and it's being Spider-Man that makes him stronger. But nobody gives a shit about him. Except for, you know, comic fans. Kids just want to see Spider-Man kick people's ass. And you want to complicate and you want to complicate things by wanting to change Spider-Man's gender preference. And not only that, but just change it abruptly. It's not even like they were like, oh, you know, we're going to start teasing the idea in the first film. It's, I'm going to go from a relationship with Gwen Stacy to a relationship with a dude. That's the equivalent of you going out with a girl, her breaking up with you, and her starting to date other girls. It's it. What catalyst brought that on? And how would you even introduce that into the story to where it doesn't look like just some hokey, crazy off-the-wall storyline that you want to go with. It's it's insane. You want to do something with Michael B. Jordan? You really want to get him out there? Stop putting him in these roles that make absolutely no sense. Stop putting him as MJ. Stop putting him as, as fucking... What's-his-face? As um, Human Torch. Do something with him. Maybe you want to do young Luke Cage. What? Maybe you want to go with a young Black Panther. Maybe you want to do that. Hey, I got an idea. You know Blade, the vampire hunter, that guy who's African-American? Why don't we do that? You want to do something with Michael B. Jordan so bad, there's plenty of characters he can do it, that he can do that with. Stop trying to reinvent the wheel. Make the fucking movies, make sure they don't suck, and call it a day. Bullshit. Stupid. Fucking Andrew Garfield. Like, yo, what are, you, what are you trying to tell us? Are you trying to tell us something, Andrew Garfield? Because if that's the case, by all means, do so. Get it off your chest. Ridiculous. Anyway, in some 007 news, Sam Mendes will be returning to direct the next James Bond film. Of course, Sam Mendes did Skyfall, which was tremendous, uh, Twenty, which was the 23rd Bond film. Uh, $1.1 billion worldwide, highest grossing film of all time in the UK, best-selling film of the franchise on DVD and Blu-ray, and of course, critically acclaimed. But, you know, it should come as no shock. I think Sam Mendes did a tremendous job with Skyfall, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with James Bond. Anyway, last bit of movie news to wrap things up for this evening uh, Hugh Jackman did an interview with Collider 
recently talking about involving Wolverine and other Marvel films. He said, you know, when asked about Marvel Studios doing crossovers with the X-Men and with Wolverine, he said, and I quote, I literally asked the same question the other day to Tom from Marvel, who works with all the other studios. He works with Sony and with Fox, and that's his job to liaise. I said, man, can this happen? And he goes, look, it's not going to be easy because you're working with different studios and they're and they're and they have their own properties. But I believe that Marvel got it to work with the Avengers, you know, and it's not impossible to bring in Wolverine or Spider-Man or some of these other characters. Hugh Jackman actually had a really good idea. He said, why don't you split the cost three ways? I don't see the impediment. I'm like, okay, you got three studios. Just split it three ways in in terms of cost. And happy days. It's all coming together. I would love to do it. I'm in for it. I'm totally up for it. And it would be really exciting for fans across the board. Can Can I really go on record and say that Hugh Jackman loves playing Wolverine. He loves being a superhero to the point that he's willing to go out of his way to make shit work. He used his own money to get Wolverine made. Like, seriously, he how does he come up with the solution that makes the most fucking sense? There you have it. Wolverine is a member of the Avengers. So is Spider-Man. How can we use him? I know. Split the cost between the three studios. Split the revenue between the three studios. You mean to tell me that if Spider-Man and Wolverine weren't in the Avengers, weren't in an Avengers movie, that the movie wouldn't make a billion plus? Of course it fucking would. Spider-Man, I think, belongs to Sony for two more years. So. According to what they've been saying, Sony's going to hold on to Spidey for the two years and either share the rights with Marvel or let Marvel take the rights. It's like the same thing that we were talking about a couple of weeks back with Quicksilver appearing in X-Men and appearing in the Avengers and it having to be two different actors and not even acknowledging that they're fucking mutants or that Magneto is their father. It's fucking stupid. Why can't you use the same actor in both films? And acknowledge that. What? Because you got to pay Fox a couple of grand to mention Magneto in a fucking Marvel movie? Are you serious? Marvel owns all these characters. Why should the studio have final say of how Marvel uses their characters when it's their characters? It's ridiculous. That's like me going out to dinner with Slick and Slick telling me what shoes I got to wear to the dinner. I'm going to be like, dude, did you buy my fucking shoes? They're my shoes. The same shit. Marvel should really put their foot down. Be like, yo, these are our fucking characters that we are renting out to you guys. You guys are making money off of our characters. Cut the shit. It's stupid. Think about it. Why why can't Quicksilver appear in X-Men and appear in the Avengers and be the same actor? Why is that why is that so difficult? Same rules apply with Scarlet Witch. Why is that so difficult? You know? It's it's absurd. It's fucking absurd that the studios are holding Marvel by the balls when Marvel has all the cards. Marvel got back Blade, Daredevil, and the Punisher. 
Will we ever see those movies again? Who knows? But it, it it's de- depressing that you have to wait for these rights to expire for you to use your own characters. It, it makes no... Like Daredevil. You mean to tell me that Marvel has Daredevil in-house, but you can't have him show up or pop up in Spider-Man. You can't have Spider-Man meet Matt Murdock in a movie because the rights belong to Sony. It's absolutely ludicrous. It makes no sense to me that the studios are making the rules of how Marvel should use their properties. Fuck that. Stupid. And I commend Hugh Jackman for coming up with a good idea. It makes sense. It works. Everybody makes money and everybody wins. No harm in that. It's like Hugh Jackman's salary split it between the three studios. Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man salary split it between all three studios. Split the grosses. Split the the DVD and Blu-ray. You're going to make the money. It's not like you're not going to get paid. That's the shit that gets me. You guys really are convinced that you're not going to get fucking paid. When you are. When you're going to swim in ridiculous amounts of money. I don't understand it, man. I really don't. I don't understand it. And the worst part is I don't understand the fact that that the studios are, for all intents and purposes, holding Marvel hostage with their own characters. Yuck. Anyway, I'm actually starting to lose my voice. That's a little strange. All right. With that said, that's actually going to wrap up this week's show. So let's get the hell out of here. You just heard my take radio episode 191. We're nine episodes away from MTR 200 for Thursday, July 11th, 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. Of course, we are always looking for great talent to add to the MTR family. If you're interested in writing for us in either a guest capacity or a full-time capacity, make sure to email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also find us on social media at My Take Radio. Become a fan on Facebook. Look for us there. You can also add us to your circle on Google+. And last but not least, if you want the best My Take Radio experience, you can listen to us on your Android and iOS devices with the official My Take Radio app, which gives you access to original content not aired on Blog Talk Radio or Mixler or GFQ. It's official content only offered to app owners first before going to the public. You also get mobile wallpapers and 96K stereo episodes as well. And we're proud to announce that you can also get the official My Take Radio app for Windows mobile devices. It'll run you $1.99, cheaper than a cup of coffee. And like I said, 96K stereo episodes of MTR, original content, wallpapers, the works. We take care of those of you that have the MTR app. And if you pick it up, like I said, you help us out in the process. Last but not least, you can always listen to My Take Radio via Blog Talk Radio, the GFQ Network, on Mixler, and of course, you can also listen to it via Stitcher, iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, and TuneIn Radio. And of course, you can always listen to the shows on our website as well, which are usually posted within 48 hours after a show's airing. All right. 
time to wrap things up. On behalf of myself, Slick, Andrea, Mortis, Ben, Quark, Blade, and the rest of the MTR family, including our very own Jay Santi, I bid you guys good evening. Be well, John Spartan. I'm out of here. Peace. All right, so uh, outro music for this week. Who are we going to give a shout-out to? I'm thinking we're going to go with... uh, Let's see. Who hasn't gotten airplay on the show in a while? Uh, You know what? Let's give a nod to our buddy at Artificial Fear, and he will be taking us out with his interpretation of a very familiar theme from a very familiar show. Catch you guys next week.